Radio Mano Papachango. Chris and fellow tangential thinkers. This is Adine coming to you from my house in Hanoi, Vietnam, where I've been living with three of my best friends for the last year and a half, um, exploring what life is like outside of the States and uh, teaching English and, and building community out here. And um, 2019 just ended, so I've been looking back at the year and kind of reflecting on what was an amazing year in a lot of ways and also without hyperbole the hardest year of my life and this summer I experienced the end of the first great love of my life uh, which I say believing that most of us are blessed with multiple but man if before this love felt like stealing spare change from the loose pockets of the universe this was a fucking bank robbery and it really consumed me for about two years and then ended in a, in a really painful way. And so it's been really forcing me to, to bringing up a lot of growth that I have to do and a lot of processing. And, uh, and then in October, I, I spent the last two weeks of my grandmother's life taking care of her as she, um, she died of cancer, which was both uh, an incredible struggle, but also such a blessing. And, you know, sitting in the room with her every day, talking to her, reading to her, um, and really meeting death for the first time in my life. You know, I was sitting there when she took her last breath, um, which, which was a really profound experience, which I'm still trying to integrate. And, uh, and in the midst of all this, I really appreciate having this community of, of fellow humans trying to live authentically to, to tap into through the podcast. Um, so I guess this is my long rambling way of saying thank you to all of you. And I hope in this coming year, we all have the courage and the gentleness to do the growth that is waiting for us. Uh, much love. Thank you for that, Adine. It was very sweet. Um, normally, as you know, I don't play messages that, um, you know, two minutes long. I try to keep them under 30 seconds, but that one seems so timely and uh, just sort of the right note. Uh, I wanted to play the whole thing in its entirety, uncut from Hanoi. I'm coming to you from Yangon, uh, Myanmar, formerly known as Burma. Last day here. Flying to Bangkok tomorrow and then down south to go hang with my buddy Viram on the island of Kopayam for a while. Uh, before leaving Chiang Mai, I went to a dentist. I try to go to the dentist when I'm in Thailand because it's much, much cheaper and uh, at least the same quality that you would get in Europe or the U.S. And unfortunately... I went the last night I was in Chiang Mai and the dentist was like, oh, you've got some stuff that uh, is going to need some immediate attention. Apparently I have a cavity 
under a crown or something, and uh, so it could turn into a big pain in the ass. But luckily, I'm in Thailand, so uh, gonna go down to Siviram and then um, cruise down to Phuket and uh, hang out there and deal with this dental shit. So you'll be uh, if you're in Thailand. Uh, in that part of Thailand, maybe I'll be in Phuket for a while. If you want to grab a beer or a tea or something, drop me a line. Um, all right. Other than my dental travails, what's going on in the world? Uh, war appears to have been averted between the Trump administration and the Ayatollahs. They have so much in common, really. You know, they both hate women. Uh, they both hate people outside of their own silly little cultures. Uh, they both have ridiculously outdated beliefs about how the world works. Um, and both of them are very unpopular among the people that they supposedly lead. So, um, yeah, they should be off golfing together somewhere rather than fucking around with missiles and uh, crazy talk some other things that are happening in the news I'd like to get to. But before I do, uh, let me just tell you that this episode is with a couple of really beautiful people that I met. I did their podcast, uh, Matt Holloway and Michelle Davis. Um, they're the people behind the Thug Kitchen Empire. Uh, and you're going to hear all about that, how it happened, where they came from. They came out of fucking nowhere is where they came from. Uh, these two had... Nothing really, uh, no connections, no backup, no money, no supporters, no agent. They had nothing except a good idea and energy and focus. And you're going to hear that they believed in themselves and each other through some interesting challenges and, uh, they fucking did it. They nailed it. They got a book published they pushed to have the book be what they wanted it to be and they got to several points where they had to drop ultimatums on their publisher and uh the publisher backed down luckily for everyone and gave them what they wanted and it was a new york times bestseller and they've built basically an empire around the notion of writing a cookbook in the language that people actually use. Um, it's called Thug Kitchen. I think the first book was, uh, they told me their, their thing, the official cookbook, Thug Kitchen, Eat Like You Give a Fuck. <laughs> it was a New York Times bestseller, made a shit ton of money for everybody involved, I guess, and turned into an empire. So they've got Thug Kitchen 2, Party Grub, uh, for social motherfuckers, it says on the cover. I'm looking at their website right now, thugkitchen.com. Uh, the third one is Thug Kitchen 3101. Uh, comfort food, one pot meals, and other easy plant based dishes to pack your plate. Uh, and then at the bottom it says fast as fuck. So you get the idea. It's sort of a politically incorrect approach to cookbooks um what's interesting is the recipes are vegan but they don't they don't pitch it as that it's as if the vegan aspect of their approach is not really their focus 
which is an interesting take on veganism since most vegans that's the absolute center of what they're doing with food it's all about you know following the rules and not um you know not crossing the lines and being ethically and morally pure and all that they're interesting because they're you know their thing is vegan but it's almost as if they don't really give a fuck so very interesting conversation interesting folks and you know you meet somebody occasionally you meet people who have made it who really um are very successful in what they set out to do and you're so happy for them because they did it on their terms and they seem to be happy they seem to be enjoying their success and they seem to be in control of the process and that makes me really happy for them so uh Michelle and Michael, thugkitchen.com. You can learn more about them. Uh, I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. But before we get into that, let's talk about the news. A couple of things I've seen recently. Very interesting. A woman named uh, Barbara Ehrenreich. Uh, she's a, an author uh, who I respect, uh, admire. She's written interesting books, Nickel and Dimed on Not Getting By in America, which is... Uh, She's a very sort of socially conscious writer. Um, another book of hers is called Bait and Switch, The Feudal Pursuit of the American Dream. Um, and her most recent book is called Natural Causes, and it's about dying um, and how to approach death. She's a very good writer, interesting thinker. Um, I think she's probably known as a feminist author earlier in her career. I don't know at this point. She's more sort of class conscious. But anyway, she's a very interesting woman. And a few days ago, she uh, tweeted the following. I will be convinced that America is not in decline only when our decluttering guru, Marie Kondo, learns to speak English. Okay, so, I will be convinced that America is not in decline only when our decluttering guru, Marie Kondo, learns to speak English. Now, I didn't know, I, I know who Marie Kondo is, and I know that her book is like a big deal about, you know, throwing away everything that doesn't bring joy into your life and whatever. Uh, I didn't know that she didn't speak English. I just saw an interview with her in preparation for this, and she speaks in Japanese, and somebody's translating, and okay, fine. So, now here's the problem. It, this turns into a nightmare, because now Barbara Ehrenreich is being accused of being xenophobic, uh, of being racist, um, and so... Yeah, in a, this is from USA Today. In a since-deleted xenophobic tweet, Aaron Reich made a comment about fellow author Marie Kondo that quickly went viral. Xenophobic. Okay, that's interesting. That's a big word, and it begins with an X, which means it's especially important. Now, the official definition of xenophobic is a fear or hatred for that which is perceived to be foreign or strange, or secondarily having or showing a dislike of or prejudice against people from other countries. So, okay, this tweet is deemed xenophobic and racist. Let's go back to the tweet. 
I will be convinced that America is not in decline. In other words, she thinks America is in a state of decline. What would convince her otherwise would be when our decluttering guru, Marie Kondo, learns to speak English. Now, this is one of these things, and this this seems to happen more and more often as I get older, and I don't know if it's a... I'm being honest with you here now. I don't know if this is because I'm getting older and this is one of these, like, kids get off my lawn situations, or if the world is just veering into nonsense and I'm noticing. So, you know, take it as you will. (laughs) But I don't get it. I don't know why this is xenophobic or racist. I don't see it. And what is she saying? She's saying Marie Kondo doesn't speak English. That's true. And she's saying that America, she'll be convinced America is not in a state of decline when Marie Kondo learns to speak English. I, I get that. In other words, what she's saying is, if America were so important, then people who sell, have huge best-selling books in this country would learn to speak the language right, in order to relate to their audience, their culture, I guess. If America were such a major power, then that language, you know, like English is a world language. Why is English a world language? Well, because the British ruled the world for decades, if not centuries, depending on which part of the world you're talking about. Uh, There are signs... Here, there are roads here in Burma, in English, uh, Myanmar, formerly known as Burma. <clears throat> Why are they in English? Well, because this was an English colony, right? The United States was an English colony. India was an English colony. That's why hundreds of millions of people in India speak English now. Um, these are historical facts. It's historically true that when a country is a dominant world power, that language becomes the language of the world, uh, you know, French, Spanish, those have both been world powers. And now we see parts of Africa, South America speak Spanish because of that. Right. So I think that's sort of what she's referring to here. It's not, I don't see how it's racist or xenophobic to point out that someone from another country doesn't speak English. And that's a comment on the decline of America. It's not a comment on the ignorance of somebody or the, you know, inferiority of someone for not speaking English. The point was that America is not all that because people don't even need to speak the language anymore. Um, I mean, it's not, I'm not saying it's a brilliant tweet or it's particularly funny or anything. I just don't see how it's in any way xenophobic or racist. I mean, let's say, let's say the author uh, was, uh, I don't know, let's say she was French. Let's say it was a book by a French author that had been written in French and translated into English, and the comment was about this French author. Would that be racist? Of course not. 
I would have, assuming she's white, French, and she doesn't speak English. So how is it racist or xenophobic to point out that somebody doesn't speak English? It's not. This is ridiculous. Uh, yeah, and, and here's this woman who's got a long career of defending the people who who don't have power, who don't have voice, people who are victims of institutional racism and injustice, and she's being pilloried for having written something that is at worst not a good joke, but certainly not fucking racist or xenophobic. When the uh, this brush fire of, well, it's more than a brush fire at this point. It's a raging inferno of social media condemnation <laughs> when it was still a brush fire and just starting out. She responded to some of the criticism uh, that she got online where she, and she said, I confess, I hate Marie Kondo because aesthetically speaking, I'm on the side of clutter. Again, obviously, that's a joke. All right hate she doesn't hate anyone nobody i mean it's a joke uh i'm on the side of clutter as for her language it's okay with me that she doesn't speak english to her huge american audience but it does suggest that america is in decline as a superpower see that's that was her point uh and again that was met with just more eye rolling and derision and oh my god she's not woke she doesn't get it she's you know people this isn't solving problems this kind of bullshit i don't understand it and again okay maybe it's me tell me write to me say chris you just don't get it that is racist but if you're gonna explain to me why it's racist explain to me why it would still be racist if it were, or xenophobic, if it were a white person. Like it, I don't see how race comes into this, is my point. This is about language. It's about not speaking the language of your audience. That's all it's about. It has nothing to do with race. It seems to me that people who call it racist, who assume there's some racial injustice in this, are themselves seeing the world through a very racial uh, prism. Otherwise, why would you even see race in this? I, I don't. I don't. Race has nothing to do with it. Uh, another interesting thing that I read uh, this morning or yesterday, maybe, was in the Guardian, and it's about this guy from Indonesia who is living in Manchester. Um. And he is believed to be the uh, most prolific rapist in British history. Uh, more than 200 victims that he lured to his apartment and, um, and molested them. Men. And he's gay. And uh, so here was his technique. He would hang out. Uh, right near his apartment, there were a couple of nightclubs, and he would hang out at these nightclubs, and um, he would find dudes who were totally shit-faced coming out of these nightclubs, and um, he would 
uh, either they'd been kicked out for being too drunk or they were puking in the street or just, you know, totally like lost their wallets. I mean, totally blasted. Um, and he would ask them if they, they needed a hand, they, they want to come back to his place and sleep it off or have another drink or whatever. And so he'd get these guys back to his place and he gave them some GHB, which, um, you got to be very, very careful with GHB, by the way. Anyone who's thinking of experimenting with that, no alcohol. Do not ever mix alcohol in GHB. You end up in a coma, which isn't medically particularly dangerous unless you puke and asphyxiate on your own vomit. Um, but you're out. You are out, and nothing's going to wake you up. And people panic and take you to the hospital and it turns into a whole thing. But anyway, he gave some GHB to these guys. They were unconscious. And he <clears throat> he videotaped him or taped himself with his phone um, raping these dudes. And uh, in the article, it says many of the men could be heard on film snoring while he raped them. Um, so this was his M.O., uh, it says here in the article, all were in a state of inebriation when they were approached by the slight smiling man in black room glasses who appeared harmless. When he asked them if they wanted to come back to his flat and sleep on the floor or have a few more drinks, they agreed. Okay. All were in a state of inebriation when they were approached by this guy. Um, okay. So then later he was, so one guy sort of woke up in the middle of it and called the cops Cops came, arrested the dude, found a couple of iPhones, looked through the iPhones and found all this footage of him, 3.29 terabytes of extremely graphic material, equivalent to 250 DVDs depicting sexual assaults. Um, and, uh, yeah, many months of excruciating analysis identified 195 victims all of whom were unconscious when Sinaga abused them. Um, now, here's where it gets interesting. And let me just say, before I, I move into the next phase of this, this is fucking horrible, no doubt. People's rights were violated. People were um, deceived. Yeah, horrible shit. And, and actually, this has happened to two friends of mine the scene of being in a bar, having a few drinks, getting a little shit phase, meet somebody. You want to come back to my place for another drink? The bar's closing. A couple of dudes. Sure. Why not? Go back to his place, wake up in the morning. Uh, and in both of the cases of my friends realizing that they had been raped at night, uh, when they were passed out and, not realizing what had happened and, and being confused. And, um, yeah, in both cases, a couple days later, they finally were like, Jesus, what the fuck happened to me? And they realized they'd been drugged and, um, they felt shame and confusion and, and it's super traumatic. Um, so I'm not minimizing any of that. Uh, I just think it's very interesting how this is presented. Uh, later in the article, it says, Victims described how their careers and personal relationships had suffered as a result of the abuse. Several said they had turned to alcohol. 
Okay. They turned to alcohol. I mean, they were all totally shit-faced when this happened. Okay, here's the thing that really jumped out at me. It says, um, few of the victims had any idea they had been raped until police knocked on their door several years later. Now, this is this is so confusing because, I mean, obviously, if there were repercussions, uh, medical repercussions, like if he gave somebody an STD or, you know, hurt them uh, physically, uh, then even if they didn't know what had happened, then the damage is done. But it seems from this article that virtually all of these men didn't know what had happened until the police came and told them. So it's really confusing. At what point is the damage done? Is it done when something happens to you or is it done when you realize something happens to you? It reminds me of the the research I read years ago. um, And I don't remember who did the research or where I read it, but um, it was about children's reactions to sexual abuse and what the researchers found was that in most cases the trauma occurred when the adults around the kid freaked out called the cops the family trauma oh uncle bobby touched you there oh my god uncle bobby's a monster call the police you can never see uncle bobby again that's when the kids freaked out um because kids the young kids especially don't really have a sense of what's right, what's wrong, why things are right and wrong. Uh, it's more sort of based on what feels good, and they don't have this cultural um, rubric against which to to judge these things. They don't know. They When that happened, they didn't know it was a problem. They learned it was a problem when the adults around them freaked out. So the the conclusion of the paper I read was, you know, we need to look at how we respond to these things in kids. Of course, this is not saying that there's anything okay about the behavior. Let's be very clear. What it's saying is we make the trauma worse by our reaction to it. It's kind of a salt in the wound situation, right? The thing itself has happened. Now, how do we deal with it? Now, in this case with the police, of course, the police aren't going to say, well, you know, these guys were drugged. They didn't know what happened, so we're not going to say anything. You have to say something because it happened. These people were victims even if they didn't know it. But if you ask the victim, when did your victimhood begin? When did you start thinking of yourself as a victim? When did the violation enter your consciousness? It wasn't the night it happened. It was several years later when the police came and said, hey, we've got these videotapes of you getting ass raped while you were sound asleep two years ago. It's very confusing. Um, and I don't really have any any conclusion. I just think it's a fascinating philosophical question. Um, you know, when do things happen to us? 
do they happen when we're caught when we become conscious of them or do they happen when they happen i don't know and i i feel like there are some kind of profound implications in this but i don't want to ruin it by getting into them too much because I, I feel like if you just sort of linger in this space of trying to figure out what is the substance of experience um, and and the temporality of it is it when it happens in the external world or when we become aware of it uh, it's so interesting and I feel like it's so much about it points to the power of framing right? How we choose to look at a situation. Now, of course, situations demand a certain kind of perspective. Uh, And I'm not saying, I'm not denying that if the police knocked on my door and said, hey, you know, this happened to you two years ago, I'd be fucking angry. I'd be hurt. I'd be scared. I'd be freaked out. No doubt about it. But I also wonder if I would get to a point where it's like, okay, now nothing, there are no medical things, no medical repercussions to this. My body's fine. This is all in my head here. This is all the knowledge that it happened is what's hurting me, not the thing that happened. So an analogy might be if, you know, if, if you got a call from your bank saying, hey, here's a weird thing that happened. Um... We had a raffle at the bank, and you won the raffle two weeks ago, and it was half a million dollars, and we sent you an email, and we deposited that half a million dollars in your account, but somehow we got hacked, and that email was intercepted by some Russian hackers, and they took that half a million dollars out of your account, so we don't no, we just wanted to tell you there's nothing we can do about it. The money's gone, but we wanted to tell you. Now, you never knew that money was there in the first place, and now it's gone. So how are you going to feel? Are you going to feel like, I got robbed? I just I just lost half a million dollars? Or are you going to feel like um, nothing actually happened? I can see how both of those perspectives make perfect sense. Another thing I've been thinking about recently traveling in Southeast Asia is how spiciness is such an interesting thing because it hurts. It's painful. But there's nothing there's no damage being done to you. You have a chili in your mouth and your mouth is going what stop help help but there's no there's no tissue damage there's no fire it feels like fire but there's no fire nothing's burning there's no smoke it's just this chemical reaction that makes you experience something that isn't actually happening fascinating I don't know where I'm going with this, but if you have thoughts on it, let me know. We can continue the conversation or not. I know it's, you know, it is about ass rape, so maybe we don't, we shouldn't, but it's interesting. 
and chilies and uh and racism that isn't actually racism all these things confuse me anyway yangon is an interesting city it's kind of it reminds me a lot of india um but much less intense but it's it's got that feel of decay and um beauty um the people are really chill they don't seem to give a shit one way or the other when you walk down the street unlike in india where everybody's clamoring for your attention um seems like a a cool place i'm just here for a visa run so i'm not exploring the country but after um, spending a few days here i i definitely want to come back and spend more time and uh, look around it's it's an interesting culture and i'm enjoying it all right that's enough for me this has been way too long i am going to play you out with uh, a tune i don't actually remember how this song appeared to me i think one of you must have sent it to me um i get them all the time and i try to keep track of it and so i can thank you when i i play the song uh, if I play the song, um, but I searched my inbox and I couldn't find any indication of where it came from. Um, but it's by a band or a person maybe named Mana Ray, M-A-N-N-A-R-A-Y. And the song is called Stay Here. Uh, I see that I went to uh, Bandcamp and uh, downloaded the song um, and paid for it, which you should too if you dig it. Um, but I don't remember whether it was Manaray him or themselves who reached out or somebody else on on his or their behalf. But in any case, I dig the song. So it's called Stay Here, and it's by Manaray. I hope you enjoy it, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with the good folks from Thug Kitchen. <laughs> Said the moon, I love you. 
Yes, the numbers are rolling. The red button's been pushed. I'm here with Michelle and Matt, who are uh, comprised Thug Life Kitchen or Thug, thug Kitchen. Thug kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, all right. So, how are you, thugs? You don't look like thugs to me. You know, we get that a lot. I know. Uh, yeah. Just, just what is I, a thug? Do you no know one? No you know one the suspects the butterfly. Um, you know? Yeah, it actually <laughs> yeah. comes from India. India, yeah. right? Yeah. I think they took some kind of drug and and got crazed. Yeah. And, like in the eighteen hundreds yeah, or something. something. Like yeah, that. yeah. 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 Okay. So, thug kitchen. I guess the the concept is like uh, kitchen verbally abusing cookbook. you into a healthier diet. Yeah. Yeah. I was looking at the website this morning. Morning. Yeah. yeah, I like that. It's kind of a no nonsense, take no prisoners sort mm-hmm. of like. Right. Yeah. So the concept came about um, when I met Michelle. She's been vegan for like eighteen years, long time. And uh, I was trying to go vegetarian when I met her. So she was putting me on all t- these different authors and books and blogs, and yeah. just show, showing me sort of like if you want to eat healthier. Here's sort of the uh, voices that occupy that space. Mm. And I found it um, personally kind of alienating. A lot of these people are very wealthy. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they can afford to buy all these organic groceries. You know, they can afford to source from multiple farmers markets because they don't have a job. Um, You know, so, you know, me being from the south side of Houston and Michelle's from East Bay. I was like, why is there no one in in health that kind of talks like you know like where we come from yeah right. you know so, and at the time he was like well how can you be vegan like 
because I was making twenty two thousand dollars a year. I was oh, I thought it was some store. rich people shit. He's like, yeah. how can you do that? I was like, beans and rice. What the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. And then he was like, well, you should show people how to do this. Right, because that is the the rap that it has, right? Yeah. That it's a privileged white person sort of suburban like elite time on yeah. your hands you're bored you don't have you any got real time problems to make mm-hmm. uh, kimchi and yeah know, exactly yeah. bury it in the ground do all that shit right. but no uh it doesn't have to be like that but those are the people who you know before us were getting the book deals and getting the press and all of that and we're like no you can be a normal person you can just be trying to eat more vegetables you don't have to spend more money you don't have to go to a different grocery store than you're already going to right and like you can still have a shitty sense of humor and so (laughs) yeah i think we we were like it'd be really hilarious if there was like really beautiful food photos but like dick jokes right and we kind of ran with that and the the language is very aggro and it's not we're not talking disparagingly to the audience we're actually trying to encourage the audience um like to take better care of themselves right you know and a lot of your shit together exactly yeah Yeah. Yeah. our motto is eat like you give a fuck right and a lot of people responded to that and it just blew up so i mean we so you started with a blog that was the first and when it was was a free tumblr uh 2012 2012 yeah so back when that shit was still uh, before (laughs) before yahoo bought it and fucked it up Yeah. yeah yeah and now tumblr like yeah, I used to look at like erotic photography on yeah. Tumblr. Now there are no nude pictures anymore. Yeah, Tumblr like, used to be like a, a haven for the internet. It was sort of one of the last corners that you could sort of... It was the only kind of socially platform that you could could post like right. nude photos. Mm-hmm. You didn't have to pixelate a nipple. You didn't have to do any of that. And of course, that's we're like, we'll start a food blog on that platform. Yeah. Well, it was free. <laughs> huh. Yeah. So, and, uh, so you, did you choose Tumblr because it was more permissive and you knew you were going to do this language thing that might get you in trouble on Facebook or whatever? I, do, I mean, like, tw- what was that, 2012, 2013? I mean, it was a different time. Yeah. You know, you couldn't say fuck on Facebook. I right. mean, if you were a private profile, maybe, but like right. not as a company. Right. Yeah, so, so yeah, we, we chose Tumblr because it was free and because like the community on Tumblr were like, oh, these are more our people. Right. Um, but we also didn't think anything was going to happen with it. Fuck no. No, we didn't. We had no idea that it would blow up. Michelle. Had you guys worked in food before then? No. No. I mean, no. I bagged groceries. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I've, I've fetched, you know, my boss's lunch, but that's the extent of like our, I I was an assistant. Michelle was working at a a grocery store. Yeah. And I worked there for eight years. So like people people keep thinking. Was it Whole Foods? Yeah, it was Whole Foods. (laughs) And we were, we were both. No shout out to Whole Foods. No shout out to, no love to Whole Foods. No? You guys aren't Whole Foodies? Oh. Why? Because of the, the, Elitism, she, or she knows the, it better than me. Yeah, well, just yeah. having worked there for as long as I did, right. uh, just the discrepancy between how they treat their employees versus you know how they like to act, mm. like they treat us, is right. completely different. Um, and the number of people, especially here in the Los Angeles area, because I worked uh, for the company in San Diego as well, um, just the stagnant wages and what how far pe- they asked people to drive and commute mm. and they y'all couldn't even park in the parking lot couldn't park um well and then people would drive like three hours and you don't get your schedule till um sometimes sunday before you know monday starts and so oh, you can't man. plan anything and you know a lot of my coworkers had children right and you're making no money um so i'd make twenty two thousand dollars a year my deductible was thirty five hundred dollars mm. um for insurance yeah for yeah. insurance i was right. like well and you're living in the Bay Area. Well, uh, no, I was living here. Oh, in this LA. is in LA. Oh, okay. And um, so that was 
hard and I didn't have any dependents, but you know, a lot of my coworkers had to be on assistance um, right. so that they could make a living, but they were working 40 hours a week. Like, yeah. and, and, and they're charging $5 for an avocado. Exactly. Their profit margin <laughs> is pretty sweet. Yeah. yeah. They could afford to be better to yeah. their work. Every, every year they were making like record sales. Yeah. And I think that from Michelle's point of view, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that that's sort of, maybe spite's not the right word but like that sort of angle of being like look me and my co-workers work in this store and we can't afford the ingredients yeah. right you know well, she brought that to our brand do you get do you get discounts as a worker there you do you get um 20 off right but you know a lot Still. of the time that's not enough but then yeah. you work such crazy hours um because each day is unrelated to the next so you know i would be there till midnight and then i have to be there at 6 a.m there was no discretion mm. scheduling oh, uh, even though there you have like 60 people on your team so it's like why are you doing this right um we called That's it a clopin. So bad for your health oh it's, oh, yeah. it's well, terrible and then it's it's bad for customer service because i'm gonna be a fucking bitch right <laughs> well right. like and then you're gonna go home in the short amount of time that you have to sleep you're gonna dream about being at oh work. my god it was like yeah. the lines were long in my dream and like we were out of bags and, and you wake <laughs> up in your own bed and you're like fuck no i have to go to work <laughs> so there's no rest yeah, yeah. no yeah. And, but i worked for the company um before the recession and then after the recession and I think that's what pissed all of us off more is that we had all worked for the company beforehand and you'd just seen the culture change right. where they used to give more generous raises. They would um, do like holiday things for people and we could kind of, it, it just felt a little bit more like, oh, we're all in this together. Mm. And then as soon as the exponential growth slowed, they never lost money. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden it was like, fuck y'all, you're replaceable. Like mm. no more. Re- we had a three year, um, <laughs> such an asshole. I just air all the laundry. Uh, we, had a, <laughs> we had a three year um, wage freeze at the store level during the recession. Um, and I was making $11 an hour at that time. And then after their three years was up, even though we're making profits every quarter, mm. everything's fine. Like the company's fine. It just wasn't making the exponential profits that they were hoping for um they offered me a 10 cent raise after three years of no raise wow <laughs> and they wanted gratitude and they wanted me yeah. to be so thankful yeah. and i'm like if i'm getting 10 cents what about the shitty employees right i'm never late i don't call out right. like i have right. no complaints like what the fuck is wrong with you guys michelle yeah. uh, <laughs> so at the time we were dating um and michelle came home and i was like hey how'd the conversation about the raise go and she was like i told them to keep it <laughs> like if that's what you're gonna offer me right. go fuck yourself yeah like that's nothing that's not Stick you're not making like we, i think we sat down and did ass. the math how much more you'd be making a year and it was like a few hundred bucks like it and, wasn't even that yeah and you were just like yeah that's a spit spit in the face yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so um no love lost between me yeah. and the whole foods yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't know what is going to happen to me. Here's a shout out to my supporters. Yeah. If you people stop giving me money and I have to get a job, <laughs> I'm going to yeah. be homeless. I'm already homeless. I'm going to be more homeless. I'm going to be vanless. I'm going to be in so much trouble because I just can't handle that stuff that like, hey, we're all part of the Whole Foods family yeah. And yeah. until it comes to giving me something. Yeah. And then uh, I'm not in the family anymore. Oh, no, yeah. it was crazy. Yeah. And you could be late um, in a shift coming, you know, clocking in, um, coming back from a 15 minute break from lunch. If you were more than a minute late for any of the breaks and two minutes late from lunch or clocking in the, at the beginning of your shift, that was as, as though you hadn't showed up at all for your shift in terms mm. of a disciplinary thing. And wow. so it's like, I can't go back to that either. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. I'm an adult. Right. 
Well, well and, and you're an organic being. Yeah, you're not yeah, don't a piece of a machine. Yeah. So what do you recommend? Where where should people get ingredients? Because yeah. Whole Foods kind of has the I mean, they're all, organic thing wrapped up. Right? Yeah, they're all kind of monsters. I mean, I, I like Trader Joe's, but I mean, you yeah. know, it's, it's a uh, different side of the same coin. Mm-hmm. I think people are happier at Trader Joe's, aren't they? The, Trader Joe's really takes care of their employees. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they haven't, their growth has been more paced. Um, where at that time with Whole Foods, they were trying to do like a super Walmart kind of situation. Right, and they're national. Trader Joe's West Coast, I think. Uh, well, I mean, they're getting yeah. to the East Coast. They? they have some in Virginia now. I think there's some places. in Texas too. Yeah. yeah. Um, but their growth has been more paced. Right. Um, so they've still been able to kind of keep the employee culture a little bit more. Mm. Um, Cos- having, Costco's a really good Costco's one too. Costco's a great company. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. Costco's a great company. I've had a lot of friends who've worked for Costco. It's such um, a nightmare. Yeah, oh, yeah, it Costco is for sure. Yesterday, it's like, oh my God, every time Panic I go attack. there, it's like going to Disney World yeah. or something. No, yeah. but uh, you know, you have to kind of put in your stripes in Costco for a couple of years huh. and then you could really, you can support a family. You oh, can, really? Yeah, have well, a good great. living. Um, I've known a couple of people who work there who uh, Costco sent them to rehab, held their job for them, no let shit. them come back. Like, All yeah. Right. They, yeah. Yeah, they pay, they started a livable wage. They have um, benefits and uh, I mean, as far as like the customer side, they have a fucking great return policy. Really? Yeah, you can return, like Michelle used to, like a, you used to Costco. do. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, this this podcast brought to you by Costco. Um, <laughs> but like, yeah, not Whole Foods. Yeah, <laughs> anti ad for Whole Foods. Uh, Michelle had this scam with blenders that she would just she would just ru- she would just trouble. run a blender into the fucking ground until like return. the motor had burned out, and then she would go return it at Costco and yeah, they just replace it for free. Yeah, their return policy it's only electronics for ninety days, but that's like TVs and shit. Right. But all houseware stuff. So like, if you run out a, a food processor or your juicer or any of that stuff that breaks and you're like this is like 150 bucks like I'm not made of money right. take that shit back to Costco there they'll you get go. you a new one yeah, they just right. great company guys well fuck yeah. Amazon <laughs> <laughs> you know well I shouldn't say that no no yeah, did I, I say we that we're, we're on, on Amazon, Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. No. and also I get uh, people yeah. you know the affiliate link yeah. so oh yeah yeah definitely shouldn't be <laughs> shot myself in the foot again yeah. well, it's hard because it's like you know they are monopolizing the game and like yeah. that's where we 90% of our book sales are on Amazon Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, me too. And, and they're not good them. to workers. Right? Yeah, no, the workers awful. are suffering. Yeah. So we got to make them do better. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think part of that's from the consumer side too, is we're incredibly demanding. And like when we started do- selling our own merch, um, people would buy something on our website and then like within the hour or minutes of them placing the order, email us. They're like, Hey, where's my tracking? And it's like, dude, we're a small company. We're not, we're not fucking Amazon. Like you'll, you'll get it, you know? Yeah, But we forget that like, Oh, when you select same day delivery on Amazon, you've just made somebody's day horrible. You've just started a (laughs) clock for a stranger who probably has to pee. Yeah. Yeah. Most strangers do. Yeah. 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 (laughs) All right. So let's, let's stop griping about companies. Companies yeah. and get back to you sure. guys. Yeah, yeah. So, so you're doing this blog. You're, you're, were one of you f- a photographer at the time? Or that was me. Were yeah. you doing photography? Yeah, I mean, I still, I'm the photographer for the company, but um, I think in our spare time, when Michelle and I both had a day off, which was rare, um, I was an assistant. I was working 60, 70 hours a week. Um, I usually got weekends off. I'd be on call, but you know, I'd be at home. You were an assistant for wealthy people. I remember you saying mm-hmm. when I did your show, yep. is that what you're like? You were 
personal assistant for billionaires was that your title it it, it a couple jobs yeah <laughs> you pretty, mu- pretty much yeah. and everyone would be like oh you work for like so i'm not gonna name drop it like, oh you work for so-and-so like you must like get paid really well i'm like dude i am broke yeah aside from being broke i'm fucking exhausted rich people are cheap like, they're so cheap oh. demanding again they do that whole like you're lucky to be with me yeah. oh and dude yeah. they'll threaten you with your job and they'll be like well if you don't like it there's a hundred other people who will apply for this job by yeah. eight o'clock tonight <laughs> you know we're helping one of his bosses move one time out of a place and they weren't there we were just like packing up all their shit and we went to because they, they had this huge mansion they were renting and it had all these fruit trees it was justin bieber's house before he moved yeah That's, but it, it wasn't was justin like, bieber no 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 uh, it wasn't yeah. no <laughs> but we went to all the fruit trees and i just harvested everything because we were broke <laughs> so <laughs> so, so we went in the back people's and we're just stealing lemons and limes <laughs> and we're oh damn that's got grapefruit over there <laughs> Just, we're eating good this week. Yeah, uh, we're we're rich in citrus. Yeah. No scurvy, not for us. Just took a bunch it's of like, avocados. Like something that would happen on Downton Abbey. Yeah. you know. Like yeah, the, the help is eating the, the refuse. Yeah, yeah, the things those, we're throwing. Those are ornamental pomegranates. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I started, so when I first moved here from Texas, like I started in the mailroom, um, and that was about ten years ago, and then I went on to. Uh, read scripts for a director for free. And um, I was just trying to get in with the director. Uh, it was Antoine Fuqua. Um, and he really liked me. And he would just give me like, I, he would give me two, like one or two scripts a day. I would go home at night after a 12 hour day. I would read those scripts and give coverage on them. Coverage meaning like you'd like, like, Hey, okay. This so it's worth reading. Yeah. And like, and I d- honestly like, Everyone's like, man, how'd you read that many like scripts in a week? And it's like, you really kind of read the first 15 pages. Mm-hmm. You read kind of like maybe the middle 10 and then the ending. And that's right. about it. And I'll give right. you a pretty good sense of what how they're trying to do. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, most of them, I was like, someone is just trying to make you do training day two. Right. Like that's 95% of the scripts that he got. It was just people trying to do sequels to training day. Right. Um, so I was doing that for free and I got in with him. And he told me, uh, he had just done a movie with this uh, mega producer. And he was like, hey, I got lunch with him today. Why don't you come pretend to be my assistant? Because I know that he's, you know, he's always looking for people over there. So I went to lunch with them. Um, and then later that week, he was like, hey, uh, they got a job opening over there. And I, I put in a word for you, so you should go meet him. Hmm. Um, so I met this producer. He's a billionaire. He's, you know, uh, produced everything from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. Even now, a lot of pictures that get made um but like just hits just fucking hit after hit um he's got all the money in the world and just really unhappy dude Mm -hmm. um he's always very sweet to me you know uh paid me shit but um (laughs) yeah i just i was stunned at the amount of money and waste uh did just like around him and his wife Mm. i I was just like i don't how do people live like this yeah you know um but yeah. yeah, and then and then I after that job, so because I was a producer's assistant and I did a few films with him, um, that I was so miserable. So you were like went, his, his personal assistant at the house, or, or so at he work? so he has four assistants, right? Um, and I got hired as a runner. There was like pick up the dry cleaning, get coffee, mm. meals, uh, you know, pick up his wife from her nail appointment, whatever. <clears throat> so 
I started as a runner and everyone between my position and first assistant either quit or got fired in about two weeks. <laughs> and that should have told me everything sure I need to know about that job. Yeah. Um, so I became second assistant overnight. The first assistant who worked with him for about eight or nine years. Mm. So she would kind of stay at the office and kind of like hold down the fort. So I became second assistant. So I traveled with him everywhere. Wow. Um, so like chats. Yep. Oh yeah. In less than a year for me moving from Texas uh, to like that job. I was on a G4 with uh, him and I, I'm not going to name drop because it'll, right. it'll, it'll identify the job. Right. Um, <laughs> but like we, we were going to Hawaii to scout. Yeah. And I was like, what is my life? Yeah. Um, yeah, for seven seventy five an hour. Yeah, for <laughs> fuck all. I mean, that's the only thing is <laughs> that I kept yeah. coming back to. I was like, it's a good thing this job is cool. Because right. it sucks, it doesn't pay well. Right. I'm running to the ground. It's a good thing this is cool. And then I'm like, like surrounded by he yelling at you and being no, no. He was very. He would get the first assistant to yell. Oh. Um, the nice guys she, always have a real mean assistant. <laughs> nice, nicest guy in Hollywood. Who is it? Uh, Tom yeah. Hanks. Yeah. His assistant, uh-huh. bulldog. <laughs> yeah. Gotta be. Got, gotta be. Gotta keep yeah. Hanks being all nice <laughs> but that's what he can he can go in the room and he can sort of like shake hands and tell everybody and like agree to everything like right. oh yeah we'll do that we'll do that right, right. and then the assistant comes in and is like he's not doing that <laughs> like, and that's and that's their job yeah. you know yeah, sure <clears throat> so uh did that job i was miserable i did that for not quite a year uh and then well then you just you worked at other productions. I just companies. I just went into the studio system. I worked at Warner Brothers, Universal, yeah. Paramount. So was your the whole purpose for working with the first guy, Fuqua, reading scripts and all that? Did you want to get into the film industry? Was yeah, that, yeah. Like okay. as what? As a writer or producer? a producer, writer. I knew I didn't want to be in front of camera. That was about it. I feel like everybody comes out here like I want to be an actor. Or, mm-hmm. You know, I want to be a comedian. Like I tried comedy, um, but like it just I don't have the to get up on stage four or five nights a week is just so exhausting yeah and i just don't have that in me yeah um but yeah i wanted to be entertainment in some capacity i I think just producing really and working for a producer and a director and then working in the studio system so i learned the production side and i learned sort of the creative uh production uh studio side but the camera stuff like him taking photos that was all just for fun and then sometimes he would uh put up on like Craigslist, like I'll take headshots for whatever amount of money when he was hundred dollar headshots when he was short on yeah. rent. Mm. Um, but that was just, since you were a kid, you like taking photos. Mm-hmm. That's all. Yeah. And mm. then, um, when we got the book deal, they were like, Oh, and Matt's going to do the photos for the book. And oh like, yeah. No, I'm not. I immediately, <laughs> was, I said something to the effect. I was like, well, we're going to have to hire a professional photographer. And they were like, no, Matt's going to have to shoot it because that's included in the amount of money that we gave you on the contract. Right. So y'all can either outsource that, which like professional photographers are incredibly expensive mm. um for cookbooks or any book really that's a lot of the money goes towards the photography right um so i shot it yeah, and, and i was cheap, not so and i was not prepared <laughs> um but like it came it came out great and it so, like, so how'd you go from blog on tumblr mm-hmm. how long did it take before that you're talking about book deals um that was uh, two years so no, no, no. So uh, we started the blog and like... It feels gross to talk about because yeah, it, it happened so fast. Yeah, it was August 2012. Uh, we started the Tumblr account and then it was like February, March 2013 is when it went viral. So somebody um, made a collage of all of our images and put it on Reddit and it got main paged on Reddit. And this is 2013, mm. like peak Reddit. 
um, when, you know, the news was just figuring out that that was a platform. Mm-hmm. And so we got main page on Reddit. Um, so we got a ton of traffic that way. And then some celebrities somehow heard about us from being main page on Reddit. I'm assuming their assistants probably were like, oh, mm. look at this. Um, and so Gwyneth Paltrow talked about us on Rachel Ray mm. um, randomly. It was it was weird that we went from creating something that we wanted to see that was kind of taking a piss out of the seriousness of healthy eating to that community suddenly paying attention to us. Right. And they weren't threatened or insulted by no, it. No, no, a lot got, of, a lot of them, they, they just saw as gentle rubbing and they were like, this is hilarious. Yeah. And so then we got, um, that summer we won a Savor's best new food blog for 2013, um, which is like a food magazine. And then we started getting inundated with offers of like, book deals and like all the shit and we didn't know because you had an audience yeah exactly Mm -hmm. all of a sudden you know we were this hot new thing and we didn't know shit and so um i was very nervous um because i'd never had any social media before we still had our day jobs yeah yeah obviously Mm. you don't uh people always think like a check comes in the mail when you go viral and uh that does not happen Uh, yeah Yeah. other people are making money yeah exactly not us what did you like were were there recipes or was it just photography um so it was photos with like aggro shit like written on the food photos and then some recipes we were blending memes and food Mm. like no one had really done that and we were putting large blocky aggressive text on beautiful food photos yeah Mm. and People responded to it, right. weirdly enough. Yeah, and then we had recipes. So I do all the food. I do all the cooking um, and create all the recipes. And yeah, so that's how that worked. And so we freaked out when we we're getting all this attention. So we um, got a lawyer. And <laughs> Entertainment lawyer? <laughs> yeah, because uh, yeah, we didn't, you know, I was like, I, I felt like people could tell like we were hillbillies and didn't people know could, what we were doing. Like I'm sure we walked into a meeting and people could like read the poor on us. Yeah. Like they're like these two fucking kids. Yeah, don't know what and they're it just doing. felt like we were gonna get uh, taken advantage of. And Good I, you. you know, I hadn't gotten a lot of opportunities in my life, and I was like, no, fuck, fuck y'all. Like you're no. not gonna, you're not gonna take this from me. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so we got a lawyer, and instead of like we had some major publishers reach out to us and we're like, hey, we'll offer you like. Twenty thousand dollars for your book, and I'm like, well, I feel like if you're emailing me directly, I can get more money. People, people, yeah, we get emails. It's like, I'll give you forty grand cash. Just reply to this email and say, and and we needed forty grand, and we needed it so bad. Forty grand would have changed our lives, yeah, Yeah. so badly. Um, But, but again, like you said, if you're emailing this offering cash, and like you'll transfer it immediately. I feel like this is more valuable than forty thousand yeah. dollars. And also, that's not how that's not how a major work. publisher works. Yeah, They're not but they, but this was overnight. coming from major publishers, which was and super they were just weird. Why are you money People, overnight well, no, for the rights? Like, we didn't no, have a literary agent. We had no representation. Contract right. with them, then they would send it. <clears throat> right. It was just like it was nuts. Um. So we got a lawyer and we wrote a pitch, right. like a, a uh, proposal. proposal. Yeah. Right. Right. Um. And then had and shipped that around. So we got legit offers and people understood what we were going for. Um. But we still thought at that point when we signed the first book deal. That it was going to be just this funny thing that we did. Yeah, like, we we <laughs> fully plan on going back to our yeah, jobs. Yeah, I thought it was going to be like, oh my god, guys! Like five years ago, I wrote a cookbook. Did I ever tell you that? Like right, I thought it was going right, to be one of those things. Right. Um. And so we didn't go with the person who offered us the most money. Um. We went with the publisher who offered us the most creative freedom. Oh, good. Um. So we voted for ourselves. And so you went. To, it went to auction. Yeah, it went to yeah. auction. Yeah. Sweet. And everybody, yeah. everybody that had we had taken meetings with or phone calls, all these 
major, major publishers. And they're like, yeah, um, love what you do. Obviously it's working, but we don't, you can't be vegan because vegan books don't sell. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or we've already done our vegan book for the year. We do one vegan book. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you can't swear because nobody will sell it. (laughs) Yeah, they're like, yeah, again, (laughs) don't be you. Yeah, Yeah. right. Right. 2013, wild time. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And they they were like, Target won't carry you, Costco won't carry you, Walmart won't carry you. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you'll have to sell online. And we, Michelle and I, we, we were like, fuck it, we'll just self-publish. Like, we, we, we believe in what it is that we're doing. And then people respond to this. I mean, I think people would be pissed if they bought the book and I, it were any different. I think we were happy to do it ourselves because it's not like we were losing money. Oh, for sure. And um, Matter of fact. And we, I, would, I would have rather failed doing it how we wanted to than succeed try and somebody look like else's. an asshole. Yeah. Um, matter of fact, we were actually in fucking debt. When we like, because we we were like, oh, we have to like start like an LLC, and then there were like legal fees, and then we yeah, we were, were doing. Like, oh, it's only. Th- we're like, oh, you need to trademark this, and we're like, okay, how much is that? And they're like, oh, it's like it's only three thousand dollars, and we started laughing on the phone. Mm. Yeah, like <laughs> I don't only. Like, okay, only three thousand. Might as well be three million. Like <laughs> I don't have either. <laughs> like that's a crazy number. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, we were we were both in a shitload of credit card debt because we were trying to get this off the ground. Right. Um, so we. Had had not only no money but we were in the red <laughs> we had negative money yeah um but so then we worked on the book and worked on the book and uh we still didn't think anyone like was gonna give a shit because uh you know not even six months before people wouldn't look me in the eye at the grocery store and i'm cleaning out like baby diapers out of carts like it's fucking disgusting uh and then michelle, michelle got in what was it tell the customer who was telling you that you should have st- stayed in school. Ugh, this fucking dude one time. Michelle's was... downplaying how well read she is, by the way. <laughs> I was, you know, uh, cashiering. And I guess I wasn't like enthusiastic enough. Mm. And uh, the guy was like, oh, how do you like working here? I was like, oh, it's fine for now. Like, da 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 Just trying to keep the line moving. And he's like, well, I guess you should have stayed in school. I was like, you fucking dick she has like, a master's I, like would you want me to have a phd to ring up your nectarines like go to fucking hell like, yeah <laughs> sometimes you have to work places because you yeah. need to live inside it it doesn't mean you fucked up it just right. meant like you, you didn't get it and, and then, help right. like it's just right. what it is like there was no luck and or there was you're no just help. or you're just on your way to something else i yeah, mean yeah or also whatever. fuck you yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know i had to yeah. be like i guess so sir i need to keep this job um. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's so many times I just want to tell somebody off. I'm like, God, I need this seven seventy five an hour. Yeah, I need this so bad, you dick. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, but yeah. So we eventually got to leave our jobs right before the book came out because we couldn't go on tour. Our agent, like that. Our agent was so mad at us because we wouldn't quit our jobs. They, they wired us money to quit our jobs. They were like, "Look, just pay pay rent for the next few months. We'll work out the contract. Just please quit your fucking jobs and start working on the book." Right. Because we we were like, "No, I have to. I have work long. tomorrow. I have to I have to pay my fucking bills. I have yeah, to pay like rent." To write right. a cookbook. I have to buy groceries. I don't need. Uh, yeah, that's true. Sorry, so our agent right. just wired us money. It was like, start now. Yeah, um, you got a literary agent through the lawyer. Or yeah. Something? yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, um, yeah, and then the book came out, and it was number one on the New York Times bestseller list. Yeah, see, they didn't want you to wait too long because they knew you had that audience, yeah. and they didn't know if this was a passing fad or whatever. Yeah, yeah. totally. But at, put at the, the sales up time, when the wind's blowing. Yep. You know, yeah, they didn't understand 
our financial situation yeah. that like we know like we there's no savings because we well, can't well see being a right i mean i have a new york times best not yeah. number one but <laughs> everyone thinks i live in a mansion yeah right you know like oh best seller oh my god like no we get i don't know what your contract is but i get 8.25 percent yeah. on paperbacks it's working negligible. out it's nothing yeah. yeah and then take 15 percent off the top of that for the, for the, the agent, agent or the and attorney then pay tax and, on yeah. It. yeah and then it's like i end up oh, with and then split it between two book. people yeah 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 <laughs> so yeah, yeah i mean I, I co-authored that book as well yeah. <laughs> that's all right so you know yeah <laughs> i know i know um, yeah yeah but yeah i mean still better than the grocery store don't get me wrong yeah we'll no. never no. we'll never complain about our job you know we're very but the point, fortunate the point is that just like the the you know people who run fucking uh whole foods don't understand the position of someone who's doing checkout yeah. mm-hmm. literary agents and publishers don't understand what it's like to be an author they yeah. just assume we're all stephen king or something or, well, they, or they're just especially in the lifestyle food space they're used to working with celebrities or that's what or kept people right yeah. they have know? other sources of income yeah. they're not doing this for money yeah exactly. Yeah. It's for this. prestige it's your little yeah. pet project a book is your way to get credibility to go and do your ted yeah. talk and then do exactly. this and then do that yeah, it's all it's all like your thing with the the rich dude. It's all like, oh, this is a stepping stone to something else. So yeah. you should work for nothing. Yep. You should be happy to work. You'd for be nothing. grateful. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And so it was definitely this weird kind of confluence of worlds for us, where we definitely were confused. <laughs> oh man. Of so what about was, your relationship? Because here, oh, we, the relationship fell apart before we even got the book deal. Oh, like we, okay. we she hit you're under a lot of pressure. Yeah. So we, we had lived together and then Michelle had moved out and then we got the book deal and we were like, look, we'd gone viral, but hadn't <clears throat> done the book stuff yet. Mm. Yeah. In that, like, so you've got the audience, but you don't, you haven't monetized. It. Yeah. And it was just like, we knew we had to pick. And, and this is, oh, by the way, this is something kind of easy to copy. Yeah. Right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So another reason to rush that out. Yeah. And, lock and, in the audience. And well, we and had like blogs come out that were exactly the same thing. As don't, us. don't get me wrong. We had plenty of people lifting our shit. And, I, and anytime it happened and like our fans would point it out or like we'd catch it. Um, they, I mean, it was an obvious ripoff, but I, I would be like, you know what? Cooking original recipes that are healthy and coming up with food humor is fucking tough. Yeah, well, I'll Good last luck. <laughs> Go for it. Right. It's not easy. Yeah. Like, you know, um, hmm. but yeah, so we got the book deal and we, and, you know, we separated, Michelle had moved out. We both saw that as like where we come from. People don't get opportunities like this. Yeah, people and, have uh, jobs. They don't have careers. So it was mm. like, this is our shot and we can either focus our energy and attention on making our relationship work or we can make, you know, this business work mm. that we're trying to create. And so we had like a heart to heart and we're like, well, fuck it. Like, this is our shot. Mm-hmm. You know, you're cool, but uh, I'll see you every day anyway. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that was seven years ago now. Yeah. Yeah. So we've been uh, business partners a lot longer than we were ever together now. Right. So you guys aren't a couple. Mm-hmm. No. no. Oh, people okay. always think that. Okay. Yeah. 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 Oh. We try We tried. To, I mean, sometimes people know the history, sometimes people don't. So we try to tell, like, hey, this is, like, not, you know, we're just business partners and friends. Right, right. <laughs> you know, yeah. But still people in the middle of, like, business meetings, like, hey, are you two? And then one time a guy, like, did the scissor hand motion. <laughs> and we're like. And we were like, what is this? Is this fucking? Like, is that. <laughs> it's, it's, how do you fuck, sir? <laughs> Please explain to me how you fuck. Because. <laughs> 
I don't know what this is. Yeah, and, and which one of us are you asking about? You yeah. should try it sometime. Yeah. <laughs> and um, then, yeah, so then we got to uh, kind of go on a world tour together and do all this shit. It was crazy. Yeah, when, it was when, crazy. So, so the book picked, came out in other languages? Yeah. yeah. In, so um, how do they translate, like, eat your fucking peas into Korean? You yeah. Know? Like, yeah, exa- exactly. <laughs> how do they do it? I have no idea. Sometimes it'll be... Um, it, the English swear word it will be kind of universal, so it's all the language around it. Oh. So, like, I think we're it, it was some Slavic language, um, I think. And on one of our photos for a cocktail, it says uh, Proust bitches, yeah, it was clink bitches <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> in English, and it was Proust bitches, yeah, and, Proust. Uh, <laughs> That's great. So, we I think it's in we're in nine or 11 different languages, it's 11 languages. Yeah. Um, so it's all 14 territories around the world Mm -hmm. um yeah u.s u.s is only about 70 percent i mean it's a a majority but right um but yeah i mean we have a wide audience it's crazy three of our books were on the new york times bestseller list and then i'll have friends like i had a friend who was in scotland for their honeymoon and they sat down at this tavern that had books everywhere and our cookbook was at the table next to them that's great and they're like Michelle. Yeah. And I was like, remember when I used to watch your cat and I needed that $10 so bad? <laughs> That's sweet. Um, That's yeah, but so, some of the translations are a little funky. Yeah, um, and yeah. we kind of get emails being like, hey, they don't really know how to translate this. How would you guys say it? Um, I forget which which language it is but so it's called thug kitchen and the motto is eat like you give a fuck. Mm. But someone trans, I forget what territory it was. Somebody translated to the actual translation is the two vegans that don't care what you think about them. <laughs> and it's like, that's the longest fucking Kinda title <laughs> ever. Um, yeah. Somebody, uh, somebody was just like, uh, fresh fucking vegans. Uh, yeah, the title, they're all different, you yeah. know, but, but they're outsourced. The international publishers that release them, um, they have like third parties that they right. outsource that. Yeah. to. Right. So. But it's, Needless to say, it's been a wild couple of years. Yeah, and, uh, I can relate. I mean, yeah. I I had the same sort of trajectory, uh, an idea. Mm-hmm. I sent out twenty emails uh, with a proposed, like a one page query letter, mm-hmm. thinking everyone's going to say no, but maybe some of them will say no because, and I'll be able to you use tune that. it up, yeah. tune it up. Sure, yeah. And, uh, it'll be years, you know. And I sent that email out on a Thursday night, and by Monday, eighteen agents were offering to represent me. Fuck yes. Like, what? Really? What? Yeah. Fuck yeah, I was yeah, fully dude. prepared to be very upset. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. It, it, and then, you know, I was given a TED Talk a year yeah. later. It's yeah. Like, I was teaching English, making essentially what you guys were making, bagging groceries yeah. and shit. Yeah. And then next thing you know, boom. It's crazy. Great. It's such a mind fuck though. And it, it, for a long time, I was really mad about it, actually, just because all of a sudden people like valued my opinions and valued what I had to say. And I was like, I had all these opinions. I've been here the whole time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you kinda, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't dumber at the check stand. Like, yeah. let you like, yeah. let me remind you. It was. uh, Yeah, for me, it was it was like I remember one week before I quit my job. I was in a meeting with my boss and his agent and we were at one of the major agencies and just sitting in that room. And then a week later, Michelle and I being at that same agency with different agents right. and I'm at the table right. as the talent, right. not the assistant. Yeah. And I was like, this, this is fucking weird. Yeah, like, weird. you know, and is it a funny how they, sorry to interrupt no. you, how those agencies are so much like what people imagine they're like? 
so stereotypical. You know I mean? it's, the it's projections, just like what the projections on television and film, it's a hundred percent accurate. Yeah, anything you yeah. saw at Entourage is correct. It's hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. And and the smoke they blow up here. This yeah. is yeah. one of the greatest business opportunities I've yeah. ever seen. I just want you to. I, I want you to know. I think you're brilliant. I yep. love yeah. your work. I love what you're doing. Have you read a single word I've written? Probably not. Exactly. But I love Don't you. Yeah. I love you. Yeah. 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 We, we had one call with a. Uh, I remember as a caller of Skype, but it was like this publisher that clearly had not read the proposal. They just knew that everyone in town was like buzzing about our project. Right. And uh, you could hear her on the phone being like, oh yeah. And she clearly had no idea what the fuck we did or why she was talking to us. And she was like, yeah, you guys have the, um, the, um, and you can hear her snapping at the the assistant. And it's it like, sounded like she was always reaching for the paper. Yeah, she was like, yeah, I am. She was like, give me, you, you guys have that. Um, give me that goddamn proposal. You have the um, um. Oh, here it is. Here it is. Yeah. The uh, no, that's the wrong proposal. The other proposal. Like, yeah. Oh, you guys are the best. Oh, yeah. God. People take themselves so seriously, and you know, like we were saying, like we we're trying to have a little bit of fun with it. Yeah. It was like, fuck y'all. Um, it's well, also, you know, like you, where you came from is where everyone's afraid to fall back yeah, to. Yeah. So <laughs> and you we're comfortable here. We have, change our lives at so all. That's the thing. Like you don't need to be rich to have fuck you money. Yeah. You just need to be able to say fuck you. Yeah, exactly. It was, you know, Matt always likes to say people think that we got a huge offer like for the first book. And it was like, no, if you're making $22,000 a year, you need to offer me 23 to quit. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. We, said, need to do. we said that joke to our agent and he laughed and he was like, don't tell them that. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> like, let well, me do the talking. Well, yeah. Yeah, I'll, you know, I'll talk to the attorney and we'll handle it. But yeah. you guys just stay off the phone. Yeah, um, yeah. Good advice. But no, you're you're absolutely right. I say that all the time. I think people think like, fuck you, money's having like tens of millions of dollars, you know, a bunch of properties and cars and like all that. It's just like I've, you know, I've sort of maxed out my own personal capitalism. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think coming from where we, we came from. Uh, I think fuck you money's maybe like 80 grand. Mm. You know, it's like, it doesn't take much. It's like, can I pay rent for the year? Do I have health insurance? That's enough is money there, to do is there, everything is there I've food, ever wanted to do. Is there food in my fridge? Like, you know, is there gas in my tank? Like it. just real basic necessities. Right. And that eliminates and then you take so many. And with 80K. Like, yeah. That is, I mean, that was more money than I could conceive of. Yeah. When I worked at the grocery store. So even like the first year when we made $40,000, like that's basically double. Yeah. what I had been living on for all of my adult life. Well, like you were saying earlier, with all this space is super new to us. And the first thing that we did when we got paid is Michelle and I went to uh, one of the guys I was working for before I quit my job. He was an editor. This guy's he's edited every fucking film. Um, he clears about 26 grand a week. Uh, and I went to him. I was like, hey, man, I'm about to come into like a little bit of money. It's not a lot, but like I, you know, it's more money than I've ever had. And I want to be smart about it. And before I can finish what I was saying, he was writing names and phone numbers down. He was like, call yeah. these people. They're going to handle it. So when we got paid, we took. Yeah, because it's not like we could ask our families. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you, you have to talk to people who have money. Yeah. And I know that, that that editor had a ton of money. You know, he was. Who's the richest, nicest person I know? He was clearing 100K a month. Easy. Yeah. Um, and we took a meeting with these people and we're just like, you just kind of give us an allowance. You know, we're, we're used to 20 grand a year. You pay us 30 grand. We're fucking rich. Mm -hmm. You know, you and the rest of it, just put in savings, IRAs, be mm -hmm. smart with it. Y'all do this for a living, right. you know, because right. yeah, don't, I, I don't know how to manage money. Well, That's not something that they taught me in school. Well, what, what am I going to ball out and do? Fucking. Buy yeah. And I think 
I think some of our friends expect they were like, "Oh, you don't buy like a house or a new car." It's like, why? Like, I, my apartment is you know it's, who, about, it's about the size of this place right here. Like, I'm mm. still in that same fucking apartment. Right. Been right. there almost eleven years. <laughs> why would I move? You probably heard me. I, I, one of my favorite quotes is uh, Thoreau said, "A man's wealth is best measured by the things he can do without." Mm-hmm. I love yeah. that yeah. line. I, I, I read that when I was probably eighteen. I never forget it. Because yeah, it's your wealth is is like you're saying like if if eighty grand is freedom. Like I was talking to Rogan the other week. We were talking about like how he works so hard mm-hmm. and. You know, like I said, well, if you made a hundred grand doing everything you're doing, would you still do yeah, it? Yeah, what's that sweet spot? Right. You know, if you if you did all the things you're doing now, getting paid a fraction of what you're getting paid, what would that what would what would make you ask for more or make you stop? Or make you think maybe I need to cut back on this or that because yeah. sure. it's not worth this, right? Mm-hmm. You know? And we were talking about like money and how he he was saying like, you know, people in his world, which obviously is different from our world, mm-hmm. um, They've got so much money and they can't. We're talking about someone he knows who's gay, I think it was, but who can't come out, like some Mm -hmm. major actor, whatever, couldn't come out as gay because it would fuck up his leading man roles or whatever. Even though he has all the money in the world. He has all the money in the world. And the the point was like, if money can't buy you the freedom to be yourself, Mm -hmm. what is it worth? What good is it? Yeah. Yeah. What's the value? Well, and at what point do you make? You make more money than you can spend in a lifetime. Yeah. And we all know that people with like large amounts of inherited wealth are awful people. So why are you accumulating yeah. all this money to ruin the next generation of people in right. your family? Like, like yeah, I think I always think of money. Yeah. Money's like like fame or power or beauty or alcohol. Mm-hmm. Some is fun yeah. and too much is toxic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, yep. And it's not a party yeah. if you do it every day, guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I recently went on a date with um, a girl and she uh, turns out that she's the daughter of a billionaire. Mm. And there was a, there was a, a fucking chasm of like between us because there's, I, I, I had nothing to talk to her about. Mm. She grew up with money, privilege, travel the whole world. The day after no our date. No consequences. No consequences. <laughs> Um, she could do whatever she wanted. And I kept trying to find th- common ground between the two of us. And there was very little. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's just like, like you were saying, it's just it's too much money can really, or fame. People mm-hmm. grow up famous, you know, yeah. with their whole life. Yeah. Um, it can fuck you up. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, beauty. I used to live with those models and yeah. models aren't happy. Mm-hmm. Fuck no. You know, I've, I'm doing like model fashion photography now. And like yeah. the more I meet them, I'm like, oh, so we're all fucking depressed. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> like, right. So yeah. everybody's miserable. Yeah. Dope, 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 yeah. dope, dope. Yeah. <laughs> Civilized to death. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Available on Amazon now. Yeah, I see yeah. You're, wearing, you're wearing a shirt. Nice. It. Looks yeah. good. Looks good. All no right. big deal. No big deal. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, enough of us uh lucky people talking about mm-hmm. the problems of being lucky and mm-hmm. oh i don't mean to come off as bitching i'm just no, like no, no, no. yeah no i haven't Me either yeah but I, I whine about it all the time but it's it's on the other hand i think one thing that we share is like yeah we were lucky as far as this publishing thing goes oh, mm-hmm. but i think we also recognize like the limited value of that Oh yeah, yeah, and that the system's rigged, and it is designed to benefit people who already have money. So, um, is part of your thing, your angle, fueled by anger at 
Oh, absolutely. At coming from that working class kind of background. Yeah, it's totally having a chip on our shoulder about all of that and just right. being like, oh, we're not invited to the table about healthy eating. Right. I have always found it odd that we take advice, especially when it comes to our own health, from people who have never had to worry about their health mm. because they have money or they have health insurance. They have all the best doctors. Mm. Um, and then we sit here and we follow them on Instagram you know we we buy their fucking tummy teas and things and it's bullshit it's all bullshit they don't know what they're doing they have a team that most of these people who are rich have a fucking team of people doctors and trainers and cooks like I was amazed you're right I was amazed when we started writing our book we realized how many other people have books I'm talking bestsellers I'm talking fucking household names do not write their books sure there's ghostwriters. Yeah. And they will do it off site. And you know what else they do? They get themselves on the New York Best Times list through those companies that'll go out and buy the books. Yeah. Like Junior just did. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's crazy. And, or they, you know, we're cooking the food and photographing. Like all the photos you see in all of our books and on the website, I've cooked that food. Like Off that's, the stove, that's the food under I the cooked. Lens. And it's actual food. Yeah. It's yeah. not like it's shellac. Not, it's not yeah. glue. No, it's no, not like, like we, we might spray it with water. That's right. Like, yeah. right. <laughs> that's what we do. But um, yeah, so it, it doesn't. We have this huge chip on our shoulder because it's like, no, we're just as smart. We're just as capable as anybody coming from privilege and. It's just that we don't get the microphone. Right. You know, people um, who grow up with jobs or have to work for a living, they, they don't get to pursue a lot of creative things like this a lot of the time um, because of the constraints of life. And mm-hmm. so the fact that we got this opportunity, I think we have a lot of survivor's guilt. So we're mm-hmm. always just like, no, fuck you. Like mm-hmm. you can do this on a budget. Mm-hmm. Like you can, you don't have to go to Whole Foods. You can get produce at the dollar store. You can get it all these different places. We've, and we have shown examples of this when our third book came out. The whole premise of our third book was to be able to cook vegan food with as few as ingredients as possible, still making it taste good. Um, and they should be affordable. And one of the notes we got back when we were writing the first book from the publisher was, you guys use a lot of the same ingredients over and over and over again. You should change it up. Mm. And we're like, that's the point. Yeah. You, mm. should, you should have 20 ingredients in your pantry mm-hmm. and make 120 recipes. Yeah, right. I, right. I hate when I would get a book and it was like, okay, do I really need to buy this ground, um, you know, cumin? Like, mm. am I going to use it again? Like, right. this is two dollars and it's going to be in my pantry for four years it's going to go bad before you break my heart (laughs) and so you know we used ingredients over and over again if i call for something exotic um which is very rare i give an alternative or tell you what you can leave out um if it's something that people don't buy a lot of like liquid smoke at the grocery store i'll tell you where to find it at the grocery store like it's just we're trying to talk to real people like the people we grew up with. Mm-hmm. So what what led you into veganism? You were like yeah. 18 years or something. Yeah. What what was the initial impetus? Um great question. No answer. Um <laughs> Were you a vegetarian I first? I was a vegetarian as a kid. I was just I just stubborn, just I, troublemaker. I, my whole family eats meat. My dad's from Oklahoma, my mom's from North Carolina. Like I don't come from a long line of hippies. Um and I didn't even know any vegetarians or vegans growing up, but I just did not have the cognitive dissidence required to watch Charlotte's Web and then eat my mom's pork chops. Like, Mm. I just couldn't do it Mm. for whatever. My brother could. It was not a problem for him. But I just could not do it. And so it was a long fight in my family. And that's actually how I learned how to cook. Because my mom was like, well, if 
dinner is vegetarian like great for you if it's not like good fucking luck because she definitely thought it was a phase you were uh miss rogers vegetarian yeah exactly didn't want to eat anything with a mom yeah he would talk about that and mr rogers yeah Yeah. he was a vegetarian and he and Uh he said that when he would talk about food um on his show with kids the kids would have questions and they would feel uncomfortable where the food came from Mm -hmm. so he stopped doing it um but yeah he was a vegetarian yeah and Mm -hmm. so it's uh it was just that kind of odd quirk of being a child, and um, I'm just very stubborn, and so <laughs> you are. That's yeah, what I'm saying. So, it so was it a spiteful stuck. diet. Yeah, you know where mm. other you know kids could have gotten bullied out of it, or you know my parents could have put enough pressure on me to get talked about. I was like, I'll learn to fucking cook, and, <laughs> and so that's what I did, and that's how I became such a cook. And then when um, I was 18, when I moved out, I went vegan because my family could barely handle me being vegetarian, um, and then I just cooked more. And because I never had any money, um, you know, we grew up not eating out. So I learned to cook at home. I'd make dinner for the family. And then, you know, all through school, I cooked because I had no money. I was on, you know, academic scholarships. But then I worked full time um, and then we cook at home. College. College, yeah. What, what did you study? Uh, history. Undergrad. I was double major history and women's studies. And She's uh, a smart one. Where was that? <laughs> well, that was at San Diego State. And then I went to grad school at William & Mary. And Virginia. continued in history or yeah, in gender history. studies. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And uh, so you were a vegetarian or vegan in college. Yeah, vegan um, since I left home. Right. And and so you didn't have the cognitive dissonance. Do you see it as an ethical issue or is it just like personal just, comfort? Yeah, it just made me uncomfortable. Like as I've gotten older, you know, I've developed more complex thoughts about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know. its genesis wasn't complicated it was just like this makes me uncomfortable right and i don't need to do it so i'm not going to yeah i can relate to that i I was a vegetarian for three years Mm -hmm. and it happened to be the same three years in which i was using psychedelics most often Mm -hmm. yeah and your empathy was your your empathy empathy was up and as you said the cognitive dissonance uh you know i people asked me about it at the time and it was like it wasn't an ethical thing it wasn't a health thing it was just i can't see that as a hamburger yeah mm-hmm. i see it as ground up cow body yeah exactly. Yeah. you know so it, it looks like roadkill yeah and like uh, it doesn't make me hungry it kind of grosses me out you mm-hmm. know yeah but i'm a person who lives in the world you know so i know that being vegan and being vegetarian isn't for everybody so right we're never trying to push it on people and no we our actually brand. we don't use the word vegan anywhere on our site or any of our books oh yeah, really yeah. interesting yeah and yeah. it's because it com- that comes with so much baggage right and i would rather people have a meal that happens to be vegan a couple nights a week, then turn one person vegan because it's going to help the planet. It's going to help the pocketbook and it's expanding people's ideas of what constitutes a meal. So is there any chance that you'll do a book in the future that's not vegan? Um, I've always said that I know I'll be vegetarian my whole life. Mm. Um, I don't know if I'll always be vegan. If, you know, the situation around certain products changes um, in this country, like milk and eggs, if we totally revamp the food system, then maybe. Who knows? What, like, what if you were, like, I have a friend who does um, sort of a black market uh, she imports things to LA from mm-hmm. an Amish farm in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. like raw butter. I was and just gonna cheese. say she, yeah. she's one of those illegal raw <laughs> yeah, milk yeah, importers. She, I've she heard is. about them. Yeah. She's a they're on our radar. <laughs> we know about that black market. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, would you use anything like that in a recipe, or you're uh, so far into comfortable you, with your world? I, you know, I'm I'm very comfortable with where I'm at, yeah. just because now at this point I've been vegan longer, I guess, than I have. Been. Yeah. Um, and so 
it's how I know how to cook, but I don't, I, I don't like absolutes, you know? And when people are like, oh, well, oh, you took a sip of that coffee and it had, you know, the wrong milk or whatever in it. Or it's like, like it had that tea had honey in it. Yeah. You know? And it's like, like, it's not, I choose Oh, to honey's be, not vegan? It, it, it depends on, oh. yeah. And this, this is what we're sort of like getting to is like, it depends how dedicated you are in the vegan community. There is no ultimate vegan. They, they, the <laughs> they ones, try to anoint themselves. The, yeah, yeah, it is this sort of constant battle for like um, king moral of the, supremacy, moral king of the hill. Yeah, um, yeah, and, that and fuels a lot of that. I I had Lear Keith on this podcast, mm-hmm. you yep. know, and. I mean, I, I know there's a lot of debate. Some of my listeners wrote to me like, dude, you're totally misled. You know, you bought her bullshit. You should read and look at this. And I looked at some of the videos they sent me, but the ones they sent me, the, at least the two or so that I looked at, the there was so much eye-rolling superiority. Yeah. Yep. That's like, I don't even want to listen to this person. Like, yeah. I, Maybe they're right. I don't know. But they're so annoying that I don't want to, you know, like yeah. I, it, sh- it just, shuts it down. And yeah. I think that that's a terrible, and that's, you know, a cornerstone of our brand is that we did, we wanted everyone to feel included. Right. We, it doesn't matter where you're from, right. you know, uh, your, your income level, you know, we just wanted to, yeah, to so use actually- humor to lower your guard. Yeah. They're like, number one, does the food taste good? Do you think you know? your brand would have worked if it weren't vegan? Because there's that that ethical kind of superiority that comes across with vegans, I think, and you guys undercut it with your language and your humor. I think they people, they balance each other. Yeah, and yeah. a lot of people bought the book not realizing it was vegan. Uh huh. Um, so it might have worked no matter what. Yeah, eat, eat the fucking burger. Yeah, but I yeah. think it it helped that the recipes looked healthful. Mm, you know, right? It, it not necessarily that it was vegan, but I think it helped that they looked kind of healthy or that it had an air of health to it. Because mm-hmm. um, people were like, oh, this seems more fun than that shitty diet book right. that I was going to buy. Right. Um, but to the moral superiority thing, like what we always try to say is for us to be alive means other things suffer. Yeah. You know, so it to, yeah. to be, we're not trying to eliminate harm. Right. That's an unrealistic goal. Right. You it's know? an impossible goal. So we're just trying to minimize harm. And however you move through your life and you do that is enough. Right. Yeah. And I, so whether that means you're vegan, whether that means, you know, you don't do fast fashion, you don't do all these other things, like it's about lessening harm. Right. Um, and if you keep that as your goal, it's fine if you had honey, it's fine if you had some cheese right. every now and then. It's just find the place that works and keep that goal in mind. It's about awareness, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no eliminating. Choices. No. That was her, her whole thing. I don't know if you've read The Vegetarian Myth. But yeah. She's, she starts making a garden, right? And yeah. she realizes in making the garden, tilling the soil, oh, I'm killing all these bugs and mm-hmm. worms and, and the native plants that are here. And then I need to put bone meal in and blood meal to yeah. fertilize. And then where does that come from? And it's like, oh, shit, there's no getting out of this. Yeah, no, know? to be alive means other things suffer. And that's just what it is. And just to do it mindfully and don't be a dick about it. Don't take up more space than you fucking need to. Right. We, right. we were talking to, we were on tour, I think it was the first book. And we were talking to a room full of vegans. They, they, um, did it was not, a, they did not care for us. It was that. <laughs> yeah. But, it, I mean, most most of them are fine with us. There's like 14 <laughs> vegans that just fucking hate us, and that's fine. Because I, I wouldn't like them anyways. You right, know? Right. Um, so I don't give a shit what they think. But uh, we were up on stage, and we, we were doing that talking point of like, this is about minimizing harm. You know, you go out and you yell at omnivores and you try to shame their diet, they're going to mm-hmm. double down. They're going to eat two double bacon cheeseburgers, you know? Um, and, uh, 
I think I said something to the effect, it's like, I know there's a lot of people in this room that really don't like us because that is our argument about minimizing harm. And I want to tell you that, you know, like Michelle said, your existence in and of itself, every day, something else is being harmed because you are waking up and living your life. And if you want that to stop, you better walk into the woods with a hemp rope and fucking kill yourself. And you better be naked when you do it so that the forest can, you know, come and, you know, eat your cadaver. Um, <laughs> but like, if, you, if you're trying to eliminate harm, that's how you do it mm-hmm. completely. Just right. die. Don't eliminate yourself. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, my contribution to the world is not having any kids. Mm-hmm. I yeah. figure that, that huge carbon me... footprint. No one talks about. Yeah. 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 I'm like, I, I figure I don't have diapers kids. alone. I get to fly wherever the fuck I want. Yeah. 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 So that's my, that's my contribution. I, I get shit for driving my beater L Camino. That's a gas guzzler. <laughs> and it's like, dude, I could drive a fucking tank if I wanted. Like my diet is such a, less of a carbon footprint on mm. the world world um yeah it's like I, sh- I could be able to fucking fly a jet every day and it would still be less than your diet impact has. and also fuck you for bringing <laughs> yeah, that up like, like, yeah, but that's the that's the moral superiority high ground yeah yeah, yeah. well and the whole you know there's mo- uh, we we're talking about the motherfucker awards yeah. earlier mm-hmm. you know like one of the the things that we talk about in the motherfucker awards is this idea of how corporations have shifted the responsibility from themselves to us for creating yep. plastic bags, you know, by the billion I to you. Like, oh, that. oh, don't yeah. use a plastic bag at the grocery store. Yeah, like, or like, oh, if I don't, I'm helping the world. Stuff. It's like, who fucking made that? And also, right. like, why is it on me? It's right. on you. Stop fucking creating. Like, you're a citizen of this world too, Coca-Cola. Fucking figure it out. Yeah. But we can't, yeah, the... They'll never change their ways. They'll just open up some nonprofit organization that they'll ask you to donate to or some shit like that. But right. we we can't ever go to them and be like, hey, could y'all stop producing plastic? Or could you pay taxes? Right. Right. Yeah, could, yeah, pay your fucking yeah, taxes. Yeah, it's all great that you have a $5 million scholarship over here. But if you just paid your fair share in fucking corporate taxes here in the US, We wouldn't need that nonprofit. We wouldn't non-profit. need your charity. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but we're yelling at a ghost. Yeah. We're yeah. yelling at a, you know... Faceless entity. Exactly. Yeah. It doesn't really exist in any tangible way that we can grab it by the throat. And, but I and think yeah. if more people were honest about their own economic situations, that we would be more angry as a people. Like, what's the mm. Steinbeck quote? Is we're it, all, no, it's not Steinbeck. It's someone else who said we're all temporarily embarrassed millionaires. That's why yeah. uh, socialism never took off in America. Right, right. And it's like, oh, fuck. God damn it. Like everyone I worked with at the grocery store, they'd be like, oh yeah, we're all middle class. I'm like, honey, we are You're not. not. Yeah. Right. Right. We are not. And if we all identified more correctly with our economic situations and accounted our debt into our thinking of where we stand in this world, yeah. we'd be a lot more fucking angry. And when I hear people of any economic stripe arguing for less taxes on billionaires, yeah. who are you? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you're not gonna you're Just not gonna be a billionaire. Yeah. 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 There was there was a guy who worked with when I was in the mailroom and I had to I'll never forget this. I had to go move one of my boss's cars and he had two Mercedes each cost about two hundred thousand a piece. Like from one of his multiple for, homes yeah, to from his, one of exactly from one of his homes here in LA in Los Angeles to another home here in Los Angeles. Right. Mm-hmm. Um and I got back to the mailroom and I had a fucking terrible day. I threw my bag down across the table. The guy was like, what are you upset about? I was like, these fucking rich people are going to move this fucking expensive house car to this fucking house. And he, and like, he got real defensive about our boss. 
And I was like, dude, what stake in the game do you have? And he's like, well, you know, when I'm that level, like when I make that much money, I was like, you are in the mailroom with me right now. We are going to share a pizza for lunch. What the fuck are you talking about, man? You're never going to be a billionaire. Yeah. Especially if you work here. He doesn't take care of us. Yeah. But you get stuck in that mindset of like, it will be me one day. And I will be glad that I protected this class of people. Because I will want people to protect me. No. Never give up hope. Yeah, I, I talked about that in Civilized Today. Yeah. Never give up hope is exactly what the casino wants you to think. Yeah, exactly. This, right? I'm going to play one more hand. One I'm going to get it all back. Next I'm one. I'm going to turn it around. We'll see. No way. No way. I'm due. I'm due for a big one. I never lose 97 times in a row. Never. Never. Doesn't happen. Oh, yeah. Lord have mercy. Yeah, one of my one of my uh, buddies that I'd go sailing with, he was a, a blackjack dealer in a casino, and he has like some of the saddest stories. Yeah. Well, yeah. both my parents worked in casinos. I forget about oh, really? Yeah, that's yeah. how my parents met. My dad was a pit boss, and my mom was a cocktail waitress at Harvey's in Lake Tahoe. Wow. Yeah, and then my mom was a dealer for a while, and then my dad got fired because he got in too many fights. <laughs> When you know where we come from, our brand kind of makes sense. Like, yeah, so fucking come at me, all right? Lord, my dad has great stories about people like just rolling up. This one guy would, uh, he's a famous musician, and he would go up to like. Is he still alive? I think he can name drop. It's fine. Okay, Um, but he would bring his coke in a mason jar, like like uber hipster before they were hipsters just mason jar full of coke would put it on the table and be like and just gamble all go. night like, have, have yeah. the coke in the casino on, yeah, the table. on the table and that was cool and it was totally fine yeah wow. God, the, the late 70s early 80s were a hell of a time yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah my mom was a, a drug mule and then she got engaged to her uh from like, from another country internationally yeah internationally yeah wow um and she uh she got engaged to her fucking like kingpin boyfriend um and they had like a who like, weirdly wasn't loyal yeah yeah <laughs> That's a whole nother thing. That's why she left. And she, my mom, like when she finally gave everything up, she was like, I'm going to go back to where I came from. I want a quiet life. I want to start a family. I don't want any more of this drug shit, these fucking guns and violence and like all that. Um, Cause I didn't know about any of this until my mom had passed away and we were pulling down like boxes of memorabilia and stuff. Oh, shit. Yeah. So wait, like, you were born after the, she the, left the, the boyfriend nice, or before? From the nice man she married. Yeah. <laughs> uh, earlier. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So okay. my, yeah, she, they, they ended up not getting married. My mom, she, she never talked about that point in her life, but everyone who knew her uh, at that time said that she was, she like went back to their apartment in LA or the Hacienda down in Mexico early. Like she wasn't supposed to be there. And her fiance was fucking one of the other mule girls. Um, that you know more or less look like my mom that's just that's just what he did he would get these pretty girls to be mules for him and then right. like he'd sleep with them right. so my mom just packed her shit she you just, know it's a business model that works yeah so she she was like i'm done yeah. i'm good so yeah so that, that's our that's well our yeah shit. she's lucky she survived yeah yeah because she had she knew who he was she knew what he was doing and she, she, was she just disappeared off. she you know and like yeah. back then you could disappear kind of like you know, i'm gonna move to another state right and i'm gonna get a job i'm not gonna check in on foursquare yeah <laughs> you couldn't do that in the 60s yeah that's true um but yeah i did it, it, it makes sense now because when i was in high school i got caught with like almost a full brick of weed and my mom was like i'm not gonna tell you dad but i have to like ground you like i have to punch that's you. all yeah <laughs> 
and I was and at the time I was like having panic attacks. I was like, I, my parents were literally going to kill me. They're like, they're going to shoot me in the fucking face. And my mom protected me. Mm. Um, and in her mind, she was like, Oh, my son's dealing drugs. Like I did. Mm. So now it makes sense, mm. you know, but like, at that point, I don't know. I was, but I was. Terrified. Did your dad know about that time Fuck in her life? No, no, about, about her? hers. Oh, he oh, knew. He knew about he knew, her, right? But no one talked about it, right? Right. I think because they were afraid me and my sisters would like grow up to be like rebellious like she was. And she was a heroin addict and she the reason that she uh, kicked heroin is that somebody told her like, hey, most people kick heroin by becoming an alcoholic. So my mom just became a fucking alcoholic like her whole life. And that's, mm. in the, that's what killed her mm. when I was in my early 20s. Mm. Um, but yeah, she was. And I guess that's better than heroin. Like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> an improvement yeah. interesting rehab advice yeah, yeah. you know that again this before webmd we still had fucked up medical advice going oh, yeah. on <laughs> but yeah, yeah. it's it, it, the fact that anyone who comes from places like we do and like so many of us do would argue for the rights of millionaires and billionaires is fucking insane yeah what was that um test that you sent to me and we took online it had oh, it had oh, like no, it was funny. It, it was like, how much trauma do you have about the, your childhood? The tests? Have you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 We both took it when I think we got the same score. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a serious thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like if you have, what is it? Are there, are there eight points? I think it's ten. Ten. ten yeah. And if you have like ten. more than five, you're very likely to suffer from like, all these diseases. All that you're, of, and it shaves decades off your life and all these other things. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's not proscriptive um yeah. you know it's just l- likelihood right the, yeah. um, the, you're starting with you're carrying a lot of weight yeah your starting line was way what, what's the behind. test called again uh, an ace ace, ace. ace. Yeah, right A-C-E. and it's available online yeah. it's very interesting mm-hmm. and uh yeah and, and it shows how you know it's the, the whole criminal justice system yeah. in this country is so morally suspect to me because mm-hmm. it, it's like if you really think about it, does anyone commit a crime that isn't a response to a crime that's been committed, committed against yeah. them? You know what yeah, I mean? And, yeah. and intergenerational like everyone trauma, is a victim. Yeah. And um, so are we sending them to jail for rehabilitation or are we punishing them? Like we need to decide as a country, like what? Yeah. Well, yeah. And Clearly be here it's yeah. about punishment. Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, but there's how? no evidence that punishment reduces crime no, or, or, or suffering. That- that people have the ability to understand and cope with the trauma that they've suffered. Like if you're acting out and doing all these things, like, like you're saying, it's a response to something else. And that the fact that so many of us go through that in our own lives and then don't have the compassion for other people who are clearly hurting. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, we would have to get away from privatized prisons where they have to have, how did we let that happen? I have no idea. (laughs) Um, We would have to get away from that. And we'd have to get away from prisons that are at a hundred percent, capacity because they do have quotas because they outsource all of that stuff yeah. especially with the the prison guard unions and things like mm-hmm. that it's like they all have quotas and they're like hey if this if our you know um if if our rate of inmates occupation dips down a little bit then we have to hire less guards and if we have to hire less guards and you know we have a lower budget and if we have a lower budget right. then you well, know and and our shareholders like, aren't happy like, yeah. yeah exactly and it's just like money. that's not how you help people in society who need help yeah. um 
when I was taking that test, one of the questions was, did you live with someone in your household that was incarcerated? And I had forgotten that my uncle, um, he was a meth head, uh, was in prison. And my dad would take me to the prison to be like, when you fuck up in life, this is where you end up. Mm-hmm. And then when he got out, uh, the judge turned him over to like um, my, my family's custody, right. essentially. Right. And then he ended up ghosting. Like, he just he fucked off to Florida. Yeah. Um, but, he, but he wasn't helped. You know, and that's, that was my takeaway is like, he spent all that fucking time in jail and he came out being the exact same person. If anything, he Worse. had more yeah. connections. More oh. Exactly. He <laughs> came out of prison being like, oh, I know yeah. a bunch of people in Florida now. Right. I'm going to go get some meth in Florida. So we're here in California. We've had a record fire year mm-hmm. and th- we have so many of our prisoners here in California on the front lines fighting these fires. Right. And the fact that when these men and women get out of the system that they can't use this training to then get a job. In oh, for a sure. Because you know, like, they have a record. Yeah, tragedy. because they have a record. That's insane to me. Yeah. yeah. They've and been, they've been trained making, for it. Yeah, right. and like, that they're not able they're to put yeah. in this yeah. work and yeah. have the money that they would have been paid if they were a person who was doing this work right. um, you know, as an employee, have that banked in an account for when they get out so that they could you know, find a place to rent, have first and last month sure. to do a deposit. But like money sent in a bank account doesn't work in capitalism. Yeah, that's it, but it's so immoral when you think about it. I just wish more people would think about it. It's, yeah. it's immoral and it's also ineffective. Yes. That's, that's the thing that kills me. It's like, okay, you know, it's one thing to be idiots, but yeah. like, <laughs> you know, it's like the abstinence only sex ed. Yeah. It does not work. It doesn't work. If anything, it has the opposite effect. It, it does. It has the opposite and effect. And that's demonstrable. Effect. Yeah. Right. How long? <laughs> well, and it's the same thing with prison, right? Oh. We know that that punishment doesn't work to reduce crime, and yet we keep doing it because mm-hmm. it scratches some weird primitive itch we have. Mm-hmm. But there's no evidence. All the evidence points the other way. Yeah, I I did this research comparing the American health, um, uh, sex ed system to Holland. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, in Holland, like you're 15 years old, you have a girlfriend, your parents invite her over for dinner, they like her, they'll talk to her parents, everybody agrees, you can sleep together. Hmm. You know, you guys mm-hmm. know about condoms, right? Yeah. Okay, we've got condoms in the bathroom up there, and you know, have fun, be nice to each other. Like that works. Their STD rates are a fraction of ours. Their teen pregnancy rates, a fraction Mm -hmm. of ours. Like, when are we going to grow up? You know, it's so weird. It doesn't work. When are we going to acknowledge that these things do not work? Well, you would know better than most. Like, what what do you think it's going to take? What's that turning point? I don't know. I I, I think. Do you think we're going to hit a corner? I think we already have. I think we're in. I think we're in the middle stages of collapse right now. Yeah. I think with the rise of apps you know uh like tinder and yeah i mean uh, just all the dating apps you Mm -hmm. know hookup culture has evolved into this sort of uncontrollable thing and i just don't know how sustainable that is well just also with like you can't argue that sex isn't pervasive Mm -hmm. in every facet of our society and like when people would email us uh, being mad that we swore on our website they're like what if a child found this i was like if you have a child on the internet unsupervised and they're not looking at porn we are the like (laughs) they're learning we are one of the yeah and they they land in our corner yeah don't worry about it they're gonna learn how to cook some vegan food they might learn a new swear word or two but like this is one of the lighter corners of the internet and words are words they're just sounds right words aren't the problem it's crazy to me still the lengths we go to keep like just watching the impeachment hearings 
them not wanting to say um, ass yeah. on TV during the impeachment hearings. And I'm like, aren't we all grown folks? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Put it in the record. Yeah, why aren't we saying ass and why aren't we saying fuck? Yeah. In, in these transcripts, they would just skip over it. And I'm like, there's no children in this impeachment hearing. And also, they know that word. There are no children yeah. watching MSNBC <laughs> at one o'clock in the there, afternoon. There's no one under 60 watching yeah, MSNBC. We're grown folks. I, yeah. I was watching, I think it was The Daily Show when Jon Stewart was still on mm-hmm. it. And he called someone a dickhead. Yeah. And they bleeped head. Really? Dick. He, eek. And I'm like. Because, there because was I guess a, it's sexual. There was an Eminem song that came out in the early 2000s too, and it's the same thing. They bleeped hole of asshole. <laughs> so, and I was like, it's the hole is the problem. Yeah, like the exactly. patriarchy is built in, this y'all. This is really <laughs> strange. This is so. It gets so absurd. Like, how do they not just like throw up their hands? And so, you guys, when did your first book come out? 2014. And what was the title? Uh, Thug Kitchen Eat Like You Give a Fuck. And the second one. And did it say fuck or was it F asterisk? No, we didn't want an asterisk because we thought that looked corny, but we really had to fight for it to have a swear word it on the It looks like a, uh, like if you've, you know, done uh, spray paint before, you just press and hold it and it has that drip. Mm. So that's just over the years. So like a graffiti mm-hmm. kind yeah, of look. Yeah. But like, and there's a little bit of a lime wedge that kind of uh-huh. from the photo. Obscures it's like, it a little. Yeah, so right. it, does, it still reads as fuck. Like, so I'm just wondering, like, because in the last few years, like Mark Manson came out with a subtle art of not giving a fuck. Mm-hmm. There's oh, that children's book, Shut like the Fuck Up should, and Go to Sleep. Yeah, or that came out before ours, but everything else came out after. Okay, so, and, but we had to beg, borrow, and steal to get fuck on the cover. because. Right. And um, now, now because it's, they, make some money. they make money. Right. I remember we shot, I can't remember if it was the second or third book, but we shot one of the covers twice. We shot one that was just going to be like the normal book. And then we shot another one because the publisher was like, Target, which carries your other book, wants a specific clean right. cover. So we had to shoot a whole separate cover and just to get into Target. And like now it doesn't matter. Like right. we're, we're in every fucking retail. Yeah, no, they were like, you know, Barnes and Noble won't sell it. Amazon won't sell it. All these places won't so sell it. So they didn't care what was inside, just the yeah, cover, just the cover, just the cover. title. Yeah, because yeah, it's, right. it's uncensored in the rest of the book. Right. Yeah, yeah. so it's just, um, we just have to minorly obscure it on the cover. Um, but we thought an asterisk looked corny, so yeah. we wanted it to look more organic. So your eye went over it in a right. way that you just read it as the you word. You knew what it was, yeah, yeah. and not yeah. like, oh, oh, it's bad, it's naughty. Like, no, it just fucking read it like mm-hmm. a grown up. <laughs> yeah. So do you think do you think podcasts and blogs pave the way for this kind of thing by creating an avenue for more authentic connection between? content providers or or creators and the audience you know Um, what i mean because you're still mitigated like you guys are connecting through publishers but the publishers have come to you you haven't Mm -hmm. gone to them in terms of your language i think it it's been both a positive and a negative because you now have to demonstrate to a publisher that you have this huge audience and like you have to do all the work yourself oh yeah instead of them trying to find a way to market you like you really have to do all of it but then you do get to control the narrative a little bit more Mm. because you're like no i i can demonstrate that this works right um but it it's a double-edged sword i think yeah i had that with the civilized the shirt you're wearing they didn't want to use that on the cover Hmm. and i'm like i've sold thousands of these shirts people love this image yeah. mm-hmm. it was created by a guy who listens to my podcast and i i 
and they were going back and forth and they're like well you know let us let our art department you know take a shot at this so they right. were like making kind of bad copies of this <laughs> mm-hmm. like with a their one was like a monkey with an artisanal donut and he looked happy and i'm like you're missing the whole point yeah. the monkey's right. not happy <laughs> Right, the, the blank sad. stare that he has—it's about—is everything that yeah, you need to you know. You can't be like, "Hey, I'm civilized to death. This is great." Yeah. Right. Like, and, and anyway, I so so finally I sent him an email. I'm like, "Look, guys, uh, here are 15 photos of the hundreds that people have sent me of themselves wearing these shirts." Like on top of Mount Fuji, sailing across the Pacific, mm-hmm. you know, naked from the waist down. Like there are all sorts of And here's a photo of a guy who has the image tattooed to his fucking leg. All right. Oh, that's dedication. All right? <laughs> we can put this on a book cover. Can you put yeah. it on the book cover, please? And they're like, all right, all right, you win. But yeah, I think that the effect of the internet and like blogs and podcasts on communication has been very interesting because... Like, like you're saying, you can have this really authentic communication with your audience and really, you know, direct. But then we've also completely lost the concept of being a sellout. Hmm. In what sense? Yeah, what like, well, like in the 90s. <laughs> or you, 80s or any or other 80s, time. Yeah, <laughs> when you'd make it big and you became sort of mainstream and you were making good money, you were a fucking sellout. And mm. you're the only people who would sort of consume your product were people who were like lame and mainstream. But now people tag brands in their personal Instagram posts to make it look like they were sponsored. The goal is to sell out now. Mm. And now you're trying to get everybody wants to monetize. Oh yeah. These pants are by this brand and this by this. And it's like, and they'll do a caption to make you think it's a sponsored post. I'm like, you're like, that's crazy to me that you want to look like you're advertising and you're not advertising, but you are advertising. Right. And you know, people putting billboards or, you know, banners on their cars, selling ad space on their cars, um, to drive around the city. It's like everyone, everyone's developing a personal brand in order to sell more things Mm. for other people for a small amount of money. And there's no concept that you shouldn't do that anymore. There's no concept of like your, our privacy being worth anything either. Yeah. We have talked about this a lot on our podcast. We used to um, collect user data on our site. We've Mm. gotten away from that. We don't do it anymore. Um, It makes us uncomfortable. Um, So we designed a site that is, clean doesn't drag um information we don't run um, ads on any of our social media we run we run zero ads mm. it costs no it costs zero dollars for anybody to participate in our brand you can go to our website and get free recipes um you know like you don't have to buy our book our podcast is free. you the podcast when we started doing the podcast was the first time that we ever did ads and we felt kind of gross about it and we still do a little bit it's tough to run a free podcast um as you know uh, without sort of monetizing in some way. So we're kind of at the point now, we're like, okay, well, you know, I hate doing the ads. Like, do you go to a Patreon? You know, what does that look like? Right. Um, are we behind a paywall? I'd rather it be free and then we just do one or two silly reads a week. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's tricky. We, we have never wanted our brand to be something that was just passively, collecting user information and making money off of people. Right. We would, we would really want people to be able to go to our website. Your ad blocker won't block a single thing because there's nothing there to block. Hmm. Interesting. And we, we like pride ourselves on that yeah. in our brand. So people yeah. choose to support there's us. There's something kind of thuggish about that. Yeah. Some, some thuggish honor there. Yeah, we, I like- think that we're only as successful as our audience wants us to be. Right. 
Right. And we're doing all right. Huh. <laughs> yeah. 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 Cool. Hey, thank you guys. When when's the next book coming out? I know you're on October. a deadline. This, this time next year. Yeah, oh, October, okay. November of next year. We're finishing the manuscript and everything up now. Sweet. Same publisher, all these books? Yes. Yeah. That's really? Rodell. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah Rodell's yeah. an imprint of uh, Penguin Random House. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, so. Is it Penguin Random House owned by the workers it, or the mm, i don't know it, i wish maybe not there, i haven't gotten of, any dividends no <laughs> one of the major publishers i forget which one it is I, but i should know this before mm-hmm. i pitch another book is uh is owned by the oh, it's like a, the bob's like red steak, mill steak kind of holder kind of thing yeah. yeah i forget which one it is huh. um not either of the two that have published my books <laughs> <laughs> Pub- publishing you know, is we're, we're, rough man. we're just trying to lessen harm we're just trying to do our best y'all we'll do better next time every yeah, time yeah <laughs> New exactly mistake. let's all i think you know what we should i've talked to other friends of mine who are authors about this we should get together and form our own collective yeah mm-hmm. like an imprint, you know like yeah. a symbiotic you know with because, I mean, between, you know, five or, 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 or more uh, authors that have already made it, mm-hmm. you've got enough of a social media platform mm-hmm. that together we could self-publish and like cut out all that bullshit. All the nonsense. Cut out all <laughs> yeah. the nonsense, have total creative control. I just think like when I when we went to our publisher after the first book was such a hit, just walking around that big ass it was it was whole floors of this building in the middle of New York with like fucking marble floors and everything it was glass and yeah. I was like so this is the fifteen percent yeah <laughs> this is it maybe y'all need five yeah yeah this seems That's a bit much yeah, yeah this is a bit yeah. much <laughs> it's like when you go to a bank and it's like all marble and vaults yeah. into it. it's like uh, okay this, this I want to feel secure right my money's safe here but this is yeah. a little much yeah you're doing too much y'all yeah, yeah. Like, it could just be stainless steel. <laughs> We don't need the, yeah, the gold. Y'all, y'all doing what the Pope's doing. You're a little too much gold in your uh, <laughs> exactly. in your life. It's exactly. you know, it tell me that you don't need it, but you surround yourself with it. It yeah. just seems weird. Yeah. Um, but yeah, book four comes out. Uh, I think it's November 2020, and then book five drops. What uh, book October. five already, dude? Yeah. If if our publisher wanted, they would contract us until like 2030. That's <laughs> but, what, I mean, when it's a two person operation, you yeah. can really <laughs> you can really get us to do some shit. You're churning yeah. that shit out. Yeah. Holy yeah. God. We don't have a life. Our there are only so many vegetables home. in the world. I'll I mean, start from the beginning again. Yeah. So, have you done like international cuisine? Yeah, like, like I do, you do I a mean, Southeast Asian thug yeah, kitchen? I do dishes or? here and there. Um, I, I'm from California. Like, you know, I grew right. up eating all kinds of food um, and doing all that. So, it's all of the stuff that we love. Mm-hmm, right. um, so, like this book, I, I've been you know, eating Salvadoran food for a long, long time. So mm. this book, um, the new one coming out, we finally have a pupusa recipe for everybody. Oh, sweet. So, but we yeah. want it, like, we were, we were just like, man, like, when, you, when you're when doing an ethnic dish, you're like, I don't want this to look well, like... Well, everything's an ethnic dish. I don't want this to look <laughs> yeah, like... Yeah, you guys are cultural appropriation. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, I don't want to make it, you know, someone's blog, these fucking white people made this ethnic dish, you know, so we're, we're very sensitive to that to try to make it... <laughs> Um, look natural. I'm trying to see if I can find the photo. But it Did you guys have, uh, you guys have never met Anthony Bourdain? No. No, yeah. unfortunately Because no. he sort of paved the way for this a little bit with yeah. the authenticity and his like language being, you know, he would just yeah, say no, shit he, the way he, it was. Yeah, he definitely roughed it up. Like he started the whole bad boy chef shit. Yeah. Um, so that's the uh, pupusa. That's yeah. the photo that's going to be in the book. Yeah, we just beautiful. shot that the other I'm day. I'm thinking but, yeah. at a photo of pupusa and, and it looks like, coleslaw Curtido. yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, so nice. but like 
Nice. You know, this is the same ingredients that we've used in every other book, and you just mix it around, and you can get new things. You just have to change the seasoning. Right. right. But no, I mean, yeah, Bourdain hated vegans, and I get it. Like, you know, <laughs> um, speaking as vegans, like, we don't we don't use that word, and and yeah. uh, I don't know. I just Did you see the it, episode he did in Madrid. He was in Spain. It was all about, and I. I think he was traveling. Who was he traveling with? Someone who knew Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh, mm. um, Jose Andreas. Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. That's mm-hmm. right. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's funny. I mean, I, I lived in Spain most of my adult life. I, I love Spain and Spanish food and yeah, I, I get it. But also one of the things I don't like about Spanish culture is their treatment of animals. Yeah, they, yeah they, it's pretty brutal are not cool with animals. Yeah. yeah. You know, we, we can all do better. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys. Again. So the website is thugkitchen.com. We haven't overthought it. All uh, of all of our platforms at Thug Kitchen. Sweet. Yeah. yeah. Sweet. So come on, say hi. Come what up? <laughs> all right, kids. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I enjoyed listening to it again while I was editing this. They're cool. I like those people. Matt and Michelle. Uh, Thug Kitchen, check them out. In the meantime, uh, don't forget uh, to look at various things going on in in my little world here. If you're a supporter of the podcast, you get a monthly video Roma uh, where I respond to questions that are placed on the the website. That's thatchrisryan.com or tangentiallyspeaking.com. You'll see. Support the podcast. Click on that. The lowest rate is two bucks a month, so that's fifty cents an episode. If I do four episodes in a month, normally they're more than four, so it's even less. I mean, come on, fifty cents an episode. All right. If you can afford it, that's great. Uh, if you can afford to go higher than that, that's even greater. Uh, if you can't afford it, don't worry about it. Just uh, tell your friends and whatever send out some good energy into the universe uh other stuff going on what makes this thing great is the website i set up where i put some stuff people are often sending me emails asking what mics i use what um various things in the van you know uh camping stuff i don't know i mean i don't like to buy things as you probably know so when i do buy things i try to be careful i research it and i'm trying to save you some time as well uh, you know, tra- full transparency. Most of the things on the website are available on Amazon. And if you click through the website, that affiliate thing kicks back to me a few percentages of whatever you spend. So I'm not trying to get you to spend more money or buy more things or even use Amazon. But if you already use Amazon and you are looking for the kind of stuff that, uh, that I use books, I read, um, yeah, stuff I use in the kitchen, uh, stuff I use on the road, whatever. Check out what makes this thing great, and you'll find my recommendations there. And one more note before I let you go. That thing, that tweet I talked about with Marie Kondo and Barbara Ehrenreich at the, in the intro actually happened last winter. Uh, it just came to my attention in the last couple of days, so I assumed that it had happened uh, just in the last few days. But, in fact, it happened last February, so it's uh, 11 months old, but still interesting, still an interesting case. Um, But I just want to clarify that before I sign off. With that, let me leave you with my mom talking about the various things in the garage that she will be happy to send you. The shirts, the stickers, whatever other merch we've got in there. 
and of course the wonderful amazing carsey blanton thanks for listening catch you next time okay mom uh, tell people what they can order from the garage okay in our cottage garage we have lots and lots of t-shirts sex at dawn civilized to death anthropology tangentially speaking paleo modern and talking out of my ass <laughs> she didn't like saying that last one then we now have some new things added we've got beer cozies or koozies or whatever they're called oh civilized to death design. they're all civilized That's right. to death. we have stickers and car decals Right? Yes. Okay. There you have it. That's Julie, my mom. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say When everyone you've ever known Is headed for a headstone Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your chest You wanna shut it up but give it a rest You're gonna die one day Why do we waste our time Thinking about a reputation go down we'll go singing to the smoke alarms we'll dance into the ground